edition of 99 Questions. I am your host, Bob Buell. This is, of course, an oddly numbered interview show where we ask all sorts of interesting people interesting questions. Uh, joining me this week from, oh boy, the list is long, Dimension 20, College Humor, NADPOD, uh, just the world of geekdom, <laughs> Brennan Lee Mulligan, the great. Thank oh. you. <laughs> Oh my gosh, Bob, thank you so much for having me here. I am truly from the world of geekdom. That's the most accurate of the of the things you you name checked. And thank you for the list. That is the one that's like, honestly, if you were talking about where I'm from, I've been I've been in the world of geekdom way before I was working at College Humor. Oh, let oh, me yeah. tell you. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh thank you so much for having me oh you're too kind thank you so much for being here this is uh, uh truly a pleasure um and uh of course we, we got so many questions i had a whole i got a whole scrolls worth of questions here uh but before we dive into them where would we be without some uh, uh ground rules if you will uh lovely so ground rule number one uh you could take as much time or as little time as you need to answer the questions if a yes or no suffices Give me a yes or no. If a short story about your life helps us get a better understanding of the answer, I want to hear that story. Uh, ground rule number two. If you want to pass, we can pass. No judgment. There's nothing gotcha here. But if you just want to s- skip right past, we got no worries for the rest of your days. Ground rule number three. <laughs> Despite the name of the show being 99 questions, there might be a follow-up. There might be uh, one thrown in on the fly. From a purely English standpoint, a majority of these are not questions. They're just words I put in a a question mark at the end of. Let's not worry about that. (laughs) Let's just brush right along. (laughs) Okay. I accept, affirm, and agree to all of these ground rules. Let me tell you, as as, as someone who tries to practice self-awareness, yes. we are not in danger of brief answers here. So, so, so feel free to weigh in. If you want to start playing the Oscars music, that's completely <laughs> fine. If I'm like, ooh, this anecdote maybe illustrates too much context around the question, I totally get it, 100%. Uh, I am I am not here to stop you. Let me tell you, my currently my current longest ranking episode. It used to be the great Adel Rafai from uh, Hello yes. from Magic Tavern, who's sitting about three hours. Um, the record was shattered by a Mr. Jeffrey James, comedian, actor, podcast connoisseur. Um, four hours <laughs> somehow. Also, concurrently, my most listened to episode. <laughs> I mean, I don't get it. <laughs> the people want content, Bob. They want content, and they're gonna get they're gonna get it one damn way or another. So there you go. Uh, okay, good. Those I, I have my outside parameters. I got you. Yes. Done deal. Good. 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 Lovely. All right. So we start with, of course, a non-question that I prefaced in the ground rules. Brennan, are you ready? I am ready. Yes. It's a good start. Question number one, what's the perfect breakfast? 
The perfect breakfast is a Western omelet with cheddar cheese, whole wheat toast, pre-buttered before it lands on the table, uh, and a cup of coffee. That's the perfect breakfast. Um, It's my go-to. It's my go-to diner order Mm -hmm. if it is before like eleven forty-five a.m. or you know what? Let's be honest. That's my go-to diner order in the instance if if I have been awake for less than two hours and or if i have been awake for more than 18 hours Mm. it becomes the order again so if it's a little like 2 a.m diner run maybe we go with that but probably it'll be the the number one diner meal which you know is not the purpose of this question but that is the perfect breakfast how do towns how do people survive in towns that don't have a 24-hour diner this is not one of my questions but i've being from New Jersey, the home of the diner, <laughs> I, I love can't it. fathom being awake and or inebriated at 2 a.m. and going, well, I just want an omelet and not being able to get one. <laughs> I, 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 honestly, so, so I, I am like unabashedly a New Yorker and of the many, you know, familial bonds that New York and New Jersey share, cousin states as they are. <laughs> Uh, with all the rivalries that that entails and all of oh, yeah. the camaraderie that that entails. Diner culture is like the central piece of DNA. That is like the the uniting, like, and believe me, New Jersey's diner culture and New York's diner culture are very, very different because specifically there is the city diner culture, which is constantly besieged by the gentrifying forces in New York that are trying to destroy, you know, you got your... Oh, yeah. You've got your Neptune diner up in Queens. There's places that exist that are true beacons of like the 24 hour diner, poor Kellogg's holding on in, you know, Williamsburg, but New Jersey has a religious devotion to diner dim that I can only, I can, I have to take my hat off. They're either, you know, like the upstate New York diner is a very like humble, like, Look at this kind of rundown ragtag. And then yeah. you go to like, a, especially some places in like North Jersey where it's like, Jesus, this is like the, like the Luxor casino from <laughs> Las Vegas. This is like chrome monstrosity, neon, like just calling out to drunken, oh, yeah. you know, North Jersey inhabitants being like, come my drunken children. Yeah. Feast big, under carbs. Big neon signs to bring them in and just racks of pies as far as the eye can see as soon as you walk in. Truly a menu that is infinite. I haven't reached the end of one yet. So it's it's a magical thing. It's a magical, magical thing. Mm. Uh, for people that are ever in, if, for, uh, for a diehard Jersey diner head like yourself, if you're ever in upstate New York, like the area where near where my mom and pop live, like... Um, New Paltz Plaza was my go-to, but that's again a very humble diner. The closest thing to like that Jersey, like bright, you know, chrome <laughs> diner is the Ever Ready Diner in Hyde Park, which does have like a 20-foot diner boy statue in the yes. middle. It's yes. got the it's got the Jersey, that that like high octane chrome, like beacon in the night Jersey diner vibe for sure. A, a diner after my own heart, is all I have to say. <laughs> Uh, uh, somehow that was just question one. Question two. <laughs> question two. Who's the coolest dude? Uh, Anthony Bourdain. Oh, Anthony you might, Bourdain. You might just be correct there. Yeah. 
uh, uh, Tony Bourdain's a cool dude. This guy's been on my mind recently. My fiance Izzy and I have been watching parts unknown from from top to bottom. Um, ultimate New Yorker. Ultimate like. Um, I just read something recently. Some someone was talking about him. He's probably the celebrity death that's hit me the hardest. Yeah. Um, to the to the point where. I, I, one of my, one of my like rules of living is I never begrudge people grief. Like I, there are some comedians that will like take people to task for like an overly performative Facebook morning, or like if Robin Williams meant a lot to you and you post a big thing about it. I hate when people are like, Oh, like you really cared about Robin. It's like, let, let people be sad. You don't know. Like, um, but that being said, I, I never really took part in, for some reason, public figures passing, even people that I really liked, for one reason or another, never hit me. I, Tony Bourdain was a guy that like, on my, I was driving my way to college humor, like, I don't know, like a month and a half, I'd already like thought I had processed it. And a song came on that reminded me of something. And I like pulled over my car and cried. I just was like, I was uh. like, man, that's an irreplaceable guy. That's you know yeah that's an irreplaceable guy and his his mission in life i'll i'll try to to sum it up in just a couple of things he he fought valorously and i think in many ways successfully against the harmful legacy of the ugly american the idea mm. of the american tourist that goes overseas consumptively that treats other countries and cultures like theme parks that is fundamentally not there humbly or respectfully like everywhere he went he was humbly uh, humble and respectful i think he embodied some of the best parts of that like punk or like gonzo journalism of someone who didn't adopt neutrality in that condescending way like you can never actually be neutral so why are you pretending to be he was like here are my biases i hate fascists i hate bullies i hate these are the things that i hate these are the things that i like but i'm here humbly i'm letting you know who i am so that you can adjust in your head for what my biases are and and it's up to you to make those determinations rather than me saying like i'm a sterile human being somehow he's not sterile he's covered in tattoos he's dirty he's cracking jokes about the things that bother him he's he's bringing his personhood but then surrendering that personhood to hear people tell their own story which i love and i think the last the last thing about him that i'll say that i that, that is just him as a person that i loved was someone talked about him there was there was someone talking about um, New Yorker New Yorkerdom and about the idea of niceness versus kindness, and they were like uh, they were like New Yorkers are not nice, but they are kind. And obviously, this is a huge generalization. But in terms of what you are prioritizing, you're never prioritizing niceness. I'm not here to be nice, but I am here to be kind. Like I will go out of my way for you, but I have, I'm not going to rest on propriety. I am not going to protect your sensibilities. None of that niceness shit. None of that polity etiquette shit. Yeah. Only actual kindness. 
how do I respond to that? That is amazing. <laughs> yes. Yes. A thousand times. Yes. Like, uh, it's, it's, it's a wonderful example of, of someone who really, uh, just, just lived life how a lot of people want to. And, uh, I, I gotta agree with you. That's a, that's a, uh, a celebrity death that really hit me hard, but, uh, uh, terms of coolest dude, it's tough to find any, uh, argument against it. Yeah, I th- and I think that he, you know, like in terms of whatever whatever coolness is or means, I think that one of the broadest definitions is like total absence of pretension or mm. affectation. Yeah. Like a true genuineness, a true authenticity, and I don't think you'd find someone more authentically themselves uh, uh than Tony Bourdain, Anthony Bourdain. Uh the best. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh question 3. Steak, chicken, or fish? Steak, baby. I know it's the least sustainable. I'm so sorry. But there's just nothing. You know, like, you can... There are, there are... I guess this is true of fish, uh, fish as well to a certain, like obviously like incredible sushi or sashimi is often just like unprepared. But there's, I, I like... When you go to a good steakhouse and you get a good cut of steak and it's perfectly prepared and you bite into it, I'm like salivating right now thinking about it. <laughs> um, uh, good chicken and good fish is delicious. Something about a good steak is nourishing intangible parts of myself. Like any of those three things can fill your stomach. Can they fill your soul? Because I know steak can. Because I know steak can. That's not the subhead of your autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly put. Yes. Uh, question number four. Best gift you've ever gotten? Uh, uh, this jumps to mind. Um, what, if this counts as a gift then it is the best gift I've ever gotten. Uh, uh, but uh, this, this list leapt to my head and it's occupying space in my brain and shutting yeah. out all possible answers. Uh, but, Let's roll uh, with it. Let's roll, roll with, with it. it. I like it. Uh, this, this bad boy right here, I know your listeners oh. cannot see this. Uh, this is a silver clotta ring, a traditional Irish ring uh, that I was given as an engagement ring by my fiance. Aww. Aww. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's the best gift I've ever gotten. It's uh, it's very funny. I, I proposed to my fiance uh, a scant few months ago, and uh, unbeknownst to me, she had been sitting on this silver engagement ring to counter propose. I dropped to one knee in our apartment. We were having a romantic dinner. Um, I was using my birthday as a ruse in order to like set up candlelight. It you know, which would be very. Classic. You know, so uh, uh, under under that smoke screen, dropped to one knee and is sprinted past me into the bedroom, um, which and did did do it without a word. So there was this thing of me being like, "Will oh, you no. spend the rest of your life with me?" And there was no verbal response, and instead, instant flight from the room. I knew that everything was going to be okay, but to a third, I did understand that to a third party observer, Doesn't this was not great. a great, yeah, yeah. not a. Not a, you know, someone could take the wrong, the wrong idea. Um, and she returned and dropped to one knee and counter proposed. Um, and we said, I said, all right, on the count, of, oh, you know, we'll count down from three. 
three, two, one. And we both said yes. And then it was like, great. Good, good, good. Um, you both said no in the greatest joke that's ever been Oh, played. Bob. That's <laughs> such a more solid bit. Oh, we messed up. Uh, messed up. Take the it back. Yeah, the idea of both being with rings and like I did I bought a ring. I was like 50-50 though. <laughs> yeah, it was a coin flip. You know, it was uh <laughs> but honestly what I'm seeing now, yeah. No, it was beautiful, beautiful moment. It it sounds amazing. Uh maybe similar answer here. Question number five, best gift you've ever given. Whoa. Let me see there. Well, yes, I think uh, uh, in order to not, yeah, the, definitely the the counter of that, the uh, uh, the ring that I got, I think would would take that uh, on a technicality. Uh, but to add to that, but maybe to, to add just to add another story in here, something that just popped in my mind right away was me and my brothers uh, went in on a premium gas powered uh snow blower for my pop and it was one of those things where we were all like i think kind of like broke at the time but my pop used to have three sons to help him shovel a long driveway and it's very rare that you get a gift for someone that um represents what would have been your time attention and effort in a very real way if you were closer and it's very sweet to think about us making pops life easier like we would if we were all still home so i think that gift is up there for me that's incredible that's so much (laughs) thought put into such a utilitarian gift that's The utilitarian shit always gets me the most. Like, yes, there is very nice stuff that's like, oh, look at what a luxury or how, that like, there is something to luxury. But I think, honestly, in some ways, those gifts that are like, hey, this has has real impact on your life, um, I think are sometimes very beautiful in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Question six, what did you want to do for a living when you were a kid? When I was a kid, I wanted to be a movie director. I wanted to direct Ooh. movies when I was a little kid. Um, because I, I think I didn't have a full understanding. Like, I knew my dad was a huge movie buff and would, like, and would, you know, and he would talk about the directors of these movies. And it was like, I, as a kid, I'm like, what is the director? And he's like, the director is the guy who makes the movie. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. Not understanding that what a director really is about is sort of like a creative lead running multiple largely technical departments. And I got older and went to film school and I was like, oh, I want to be a writer. Understood. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Slight I but distinct difference there. Slight but distinct difference. When I was little, I was like, the director makes the movie. And it was like the boss of the movie. And even then you're like, no, that's the producer. And honestly, that's the studio or the network, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, you got to be real famous before you're pulling that kind of weight. Um, uh, but that's what I wanted to do when I was a little kid. Lovely. Uh, question seven. What's the largest animal you can beat in a fight? What a perfect question. Oh, my God. 
first of three fighting questions. So be prepared. The largest animal I could beat in a fight. Correct. <laughs> I know this is the nerd in me kicking in. I love it. I love it. I could see, I could physically see gears turning. Like, crank, 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 crank. Because, because some of our terms are not defined. Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. and what's the animal? Like, I could beat in a fight. How are we defining fight? And how are we defining I? Like, for example, if it's, if, if the way we're defining I is like, I means you and your physical body, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you, if someone said like, Brennan, there's this specific blue whale and you have to kick its ass sometime in the next 10 years, I would go like, cool. I'm going to go apply to some whaling ships. I'm going to learn how to do this. Like, you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? I like, see. Okay. Like, does that make sense? Like, I, I would say I love where you're coming at it with. <laughs> given time and resources, I could beat any animal in the world. You see what I'm saying? I'm yes. a human. We're the most deadly animal there's ever been. There's yeah. never been an animal more deadly than human beings. Sharks kill like 11 people a year. We kill like 10 million. It's not <laughs> close. Yeah. It's not close. We're terrifying. Um, but yeah. So how would you define fight? What, what is I in this context? And what is a fight in this context? I would say I, well, you are uh, yourself with a, a casual gear. So if you if you need some sort of gear to better fight this creature in its habitat, you're allowed it, but in, in, in a casual sense. Uh, so you, you know, like I, you're not going to show up with a rocket launcher, is what I'm saying here. <laughs> um, and then when I say beat, I'm going to say uh, knockout or judge's decision. Okay, knockout or just decision, me, yeah. casual gear. I think I could take, um, <laughs> I might be, I might be, maybe, you know, I think maybe this is wrong, but I'm going to, you know what? I, you have to back yourself. You have to believe in yourself. Sure. Um, I think that I could beat a uh, Mola Mola. Um, uh, a, also known as an ocean sunfish. These guys absolutely suck. They weigh, they weigh like two, I think, yeah, they weigh between 545 and 2,200 pounds. Good gravy. Um, okay. <laughs> species is native to tropical, but uh, sunfish are general, generalist predators that consume largely small fishes, fish larvae, squid, and crustace- crustaceans. Their mouths are like super small. The main thing about them is that they like suck. They like, like other animals don't eat them because their bodies don't have a lot of nutrients in them, but they like kind of can't, they're like enormous and they can't uh-huh. really fight and they can't really swim. Well, they just, they just grow huge and kind of like, they're just, they're just the dopes of the ocean. <laughs> and I think I could take one. I believe in you. I, I fully endorse this. I think I could swim down there with a pocket knife and I could, and I could mess up a mola mola. I think I could. Holy mola mola is what they would say. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I I fully endorse this, and I can't wait for the uh, the the full 
fight card to come out of this. <laughs> Love it. I'm literally reading on human interaction. The first sentence on Wikipedia is, despite their size, ocean sunfish are docile and pose no threat to human divers. Well, there injuries, you go. I mean... <laughs> like, injuries from sunfish are rare, although a slight danger exists from large sunfish leaping out of the water onto boats. Like, the worst thing that can happen is that one of these guys falls on you. Right? <laughs> Its main attack is whoops a daisy. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, amazing. What are the betting lines on, on this fight? Mm-hmm. Uh question eight. Who's someone you look up to? Someone I look up to. Other than the Mola Mola, that is. Uh, above your head currently hey bob let me tell you i don't look up to any mola mola anywhere you heard it here mola mola i'm calling you out you're a punk fish all the other fish are talking about it um this podcast sponsored by big mola mola man you gotta (laughs) you gotta ease up um someone i look up to i feel that this is a I hope, let me see. There's like a lot of, a lot of possible answers to this question. Um, I, I definitely, I think, look up to, I I know that this is, this is a very classic answer, um, but I do look up to my mom a great deal. My mom is a really smart, uh, a brilliant storyteller. Um, and I think someone who has like a lot of my instincts of like doing right by people and trying hard to navigate situations with as much integrity as you can, uh, I get from my mom. And she's someone who, again, like um, uh, has always found the way in her life to like uh, do right by all the people around her while also um you know, uh, uh, living a life full of like interesting, like an amazing creative projects and, uh, you know, all like all any interest or, or, you know, history I have with like activism and political engagement, I get directly from my mom who like raised us to be that way. And, um, uh, yeah, like, like her work ethic as a, like, aside aside from being a, you know, like golden hearted person, um, also, like her work ethic, her storytelling sensibility, uh, and her engagement with the 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 world at large, and, and her you know infinite curiosity and desire for more knowledge. Uh, yeah, I think she's like the person that I admire most. Hmm. That's incredible. Uh, question nine: First album you bought with your own money. The first album I bought with my own money. I think it, I think it was Tenacious D. I think the first Ooh. CD I bought with my own money was Tenacious D. I don't remember the name of the album, but it was the one with Tribute on it. Um, yeah. I think it uh, might have been called Tribute as the album. Maybe I'm, yeah. I, I could be wrong. 
Um, but uh, yeah, that one, I, I got into music a little bit late. I was a very sheltered, nerdy kid and I didn't watch like music videos or anything like that. until I think I ran like around when I was like 14, you know, like, and that was right when tribute that music video with Kyle Gass, Jack Black and Dave Grohl as the devil yeah. came out. And I was like, oh, well, this is whatever the hell this is. It has to be a part <laughs> of my life in all ways going forward forever. Um, uh, me and all my friends you know, could sing tribute word for word like the day after we got that CD, um, just memorized it. Uh, God, what joy that CD brought. Good Lord. It's real good. It's real good. Real good. Uh, number 10, what's your go-to karaoke song? I'm basic. I'm basic. And I'm not going to lie about it. All right. <laughs> this is the Ugg boots of karaoke songs. Oh, this is the, this is the pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> this is the vanilla ice cream. I understand that. It's Sweet Caroline by Neil Diamond. Because at the end of the day, am I the world's best singer? No, I'm not. I'm not tr- going to treat everybody to a wonderful rendition of a song. So I'm going to put on a song that has a call and response to get mm-hmm. the people in the room happy and everyone gets to go, bah, 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 <laughs> and you know, it's a crowd pleaser, right? It's once again, utilitarian, the mm-hmm. most, the most good for the most people. And it, it's been a classic for this long for a reason it didn't accidentally show up here you know time's never been so good so good so So good so good yes exactly uh and i just love and normally uh because there's there's some big instrumentals in there which i think are some people find gauche in karaoke so normally i'll i'll like you know dive into some riffing as neil diamond like i'll do a neil diamond impression and be like Everyone here at the Copacabana looks so lovely this evening. I woke up in a dumpster outside 40 minutes ago, just happy to have a hot meal. Two, three, sweet Caroline. Bah, bah, bah. You know, you see, so, because again, I'm not the best singer in the world, but I can riff okay. And then the people oh, yeah. are like, hey, there's some fun riffing during the, <laughs> during the instrumental per- portion. That's perfect. That's perfect. Uh, question 11. Last song that you listen to i'm gonna think of the last song i remember uh the last song i listened to purposefully uh uh was uh king and country which is a track from the oblivion soundtrack by jeremy soul i listen to a lot of video game soundtracks while i'm working um because they they are you know especially like jeremy soul is incredible austin wintery is incredible there are there are tracks that are made to not be annoying as they repeat ad infinitum. They are very beautiful. The tracks are very long and they just go on forever and help you get into like deep flow state. Um, so that's the last track I listened to. I, I do a lot of these like focus things, like a little bit of music and then I just, I like, you know, yeah. I like that state of hyper focus. I love it. I love it. Uh, question 12. What's a band or musical artist do you want to hear more from? Oh, I was just thinking about this. This is a bizarre one, but 
but the band do you know you know the song brandy it, the band did is called looking glass yeah um, a fine girl the whole deal. what a good yeah. wife you would be yeah. they made that song it's the only song that it the song slaps from beginning to end and it's the only song that they ever made that sounds anything like that they make an oh. absolute hit and then they're like whatever we do guys we must never do something like brandy again this worked so well let's do the complete opposite for the rest of our careers bands name is looking glass i don't know if they had some like producers style deal where they were trying to make albums that didn't do well or why they didn't do that um but they also haven't made songs in a trillion years so i would say of current artists uh janelle monet can make as much music as she wants to yeah. uh, and uh i will listen to every album she makes and i hope she makes many many more I love it. Janelle Monet or Looking Glass, if they're around or alive. Or... A, I don't even need a full album. Just one more song like that. You guys can't get it together to get in the studio and just do one more. It doesn't have to be about ships or a lady. Just make something that kind of has that fun. What a finger. Why not? It's great. They dropped the ball. Dropped uh, it. 13 what's a song that brings the most emotion out of you whoa yeah you know what jumps to mind is an old irish uh old irish song called the parting glass that uh really makes me um it's a good it's good the, it's got those feelings Yes, it's got those feelings in it. Um, it's a song about saying goodbye. It's it's very. I mean, it's it's a song that's poignant. Whether you're talking about death or whether you're talking about literally just like saying farewell. Um, are you familiar with the song at all? It's uh, I haven't heard of it. No, it's great. I, I I was raised on a bunch of these like older Irish trad, you know, uh, traditional music and songs and things like that. Um, but uh, I'm a terrible singer, so forgive me. But this is actually one of the few things where this song is certainly public domain, so you won't get in trouble for having it on your podcast. How's it go? It goes like, it was like, oh, of all the comrades that here I had, would be sorry for my going away. And of all the sweethearts that here I knew, would wish me one more day to stay. I won't do the whole thing, but it's about a guy. The, you're filling the parting glass. It's it's like raising a glass as you are about to uh, depart. Bravo, bravo, sir! Look at hey. you go. Hey, <laughs> quadruple you know? threat. I don't know what the other three are, but I'll fill them out as we go through here. <laughs> appreciate it. I appreciate it. Uh, fourteen favorite music video we already know that the best music video ever made is the tribute music video with dave Grohl. that's correct the first music video i ever saw uh like the first time i literally changed the tv to a music like mtv or vh1 or one of those things was avril lavigne's it's complicated and i was like you know 13 or 14 or something like that and i was like oh it like you know what I mean. You hear those you hear those moments yep. where you're like, ah, yes. Like I knew that girls made me feel 
weird and flustered and physically hot like my temperature got hotter around girls that's been happening for a little while but now it's no it's the full thing it's the full like this is this is what it's like to have a crush crushes are real i'm having one uh so that one gets honorable mention but i do think the the best of all time is is tribute Uh, amazing (laughs) i mean it's it's complicated what can i say (laughs) uh 15 you got a million dollars but you have to donate it all to charity what charity is it going to wow um is there a way for me to cheat and do one of those charities that gives it to a lot of other charities? <laughs> um, there is well within your reins to cheat on any of these questions. On any uh, of these questions. Sure. A uh, million dollars to a single charity. I think I would, like I donated this last summer to a lot of those like bail fund charities that specifically were like conglomerations of smaller individual charities. So Mm. I think I would want to give to something like that, that spreads money around because I've been thinking a lot about charity recently. And there's, it seems that the larger an institution a charity is, the more overhead it gets, the the higher the salary of the executives who are running it, the more wasteful it becomes. And it seems like, um, things that are more like cellular networks where the charities are based in the communities they're helping. They are smaller and more nimble. They are the people that run those charities are neighbors with the people they are trying to help. Um, All of that, there's a lot of stuff I've been reading up about, about how much uh, better that is in the long run to help people. Not that there's not large charities that are doing amazing work. There certainly, certainly are. But I think something um, uh, like a, you know, mass medical fund, uh, uh, GoFundMe, or a mass bail fund, or um uh something or or even like a charity of like a grant program to like a lot of different um either climate causes environmental co- like uh uh would be great or um le- legal funds you know like it's a lot of small legal funds all over the country uh either for immigration rights or other things like that all of that would be like um i think where i would i would want to do that like hit up a an org that specifically splits between smaller more nimble orgs uh, absolutely commendable yes i think that would be wonderful uh 16 favorite holiday christmas mm. uh i love it i love i love christmas time uh, uh my mom's a big christmas head and she raised her son to be a big old christmas head as well um i like how much christmas there is i like yeah. like i like the the that there's a day to go get the tree and to decorate it and then there's a day that to go do the shopping stuff and there's a christmas eve and a christmas day and um you know my my brother is a big thanksgiving uh, fan and I, I always you know I'm like oh, I love Thanksgiving love the love the carols love the Thanksgiving <laughs> songs love all the oh those Thanksgiving yeah. movies that we watch around the fire and it's like basically being like I love the richness of the lore of Christmas there's a lot 
to, it, there's a lot to celebrate in there. Yeah. Um, and also as someone who doesn't drink, Halloween lost all its appeal once I couldn't get candy anymore. I don't want to wear a hot costume and go be in a loud bar with adults. It's like, oh, great, you're dressed as the Joker. And what are you doing with that awesome Joker costume? You know, paying full price for whatever cocktail you're drinking and sweating your ass off under the grease paint. This is a nightmare. (laughs) This is a nightmare. That's fair. I think that's very fair. Uh, Yeah, because especially with with Halloween, it is such a toss-up of it is either going to be way too warm or way too cold. Either way, making the worst atmosphere possible for any kind of decent costume. Uh, yes, and I I do like haunted houses to this day. That feels very fun. But I'm the thing is, I also am like a weirdo in terms of I want us. I want the, if the day is going to be special, I want it to mean something. And hmm. I feel like the meaning of Halloween is fear, ghosts and goblins. Yeah, yeah. You're dressing up and then you're just going to go drink or go to a party? What the hell is that? It wasn't well thought out, I'll say. It, like, it, I think their intention was there, but then, like, someone lost, like, the third page of a three-page plan and they were just like, what now? We got candy, we have drinks. Uh... Yeah, as a lifelong <laughs> LARPer, if I'm going to wear a monster costume, I want to be running around on all fours and jump up on a roof somewhere. I want to scare the shit out of somebody. I don't want to be like, hey, Dan, great to see you again. Oh, I see. Yeah, you are Woody from Toy Story. It's pretty hot in here, huh? I keep coming back to that. I'm a sweaty guy. The costumes are hot unless we're outside. And if we're inside, this is bad. You shouldn't be inside on Halloween. That's my hot take. You heard it here first. I like it. Uh, 17, what's your go-to drink when you walk into a coffee shop? Man, once again, just as basic as can be. I get a regular coffee with half and half. That's Mm -hmm. it. I I get, you know, if it's Starbucks, it's like a Pike Place or whatever their regular roast is. Um, You know, like like another hot take here. Sometimes bad coffee (gasps) is better than good coffee. You know what I'm saying? Oh my gosh. They're shutting us down. They're shutting us down. <laughs> <laughs> These takes are too hot. Takes are too hot. Um, uh, like, as a diner head, there is something about that full pot of coffee that's been on the burner all day. Yeah. And it comes and it's like, it's a little watery. Like, they're, stay, they're saving money on the coffee. They're not putting too, too much coffee in there. But you put some half and half in and you can drink eight cups in a row and it's so watered down that you're not going to feel like your teeth are about to fly out of your skull yeah uh, i love it i do love a bad cup of coffee there's something magical there i think you're right mm-hmm. uh question 18 spell the word gray g r e y the, I, I, the hottest of takes. The hottest <laughs> of takes. I know that that is like a British spelling, but the there is something about the vibe of the word gray that I think if you if you let words choose whether to be American or British, I think gray would choose British. Oh yeah, I think gray would be like I prefer to be British, please. Spell me with an E, if you'd be so kind. It's the name of their most famous tea, 
It's Earl Grey. Earl Grey. <laughs> Earl Grey. Gandalf the Grey is spelled G-R-E-Y. It's you know, there. like, uh, uh, and I think too that Grey, like, with the E, it has a little bit more of like finesse. It's a little bit more ethereal, and that's kind of the vibe of the color anyway. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Sense. Yeah. It's it's got a mistiness to it. Yes, there's a mistiness to to the color gray, and so I like the mistiness of the letter E in the word. Mm, I get it. I get it. Uh, 19, what's your prized possession? Get it out here. Once again, I'm going to show it to you and then describe it to your listeners. Uh, This is the Adventure Coin. Um, Oh, wow. The Adventure Coin has been in my front left pocket since I was 15 years old. Um, it is a lucky charm, a little lucky charm um, that uh, I, I have lost it on occasion. One time I lost it for literally, I think, like a year and the, and like a day, like almost to the day for a single year. Oh. Uh, I lost it for several months um, and found it again under the floor mounted like radiator heater of a coffee shop it was like in the dust under a radiator coffee shop for like months and i managed to go back to that coffee shop and kind of like looked i was like i just had a feeling like maybe did i lose it here and found it miraculously um uh i'm gonna tell a story I'm going to tell a story. I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm telling you right now, just the radiator thing. You have me sold. I'm going to tell a story. Your listeners aren't... I I want to come hat in hand with humility mm-hmm. that I know that this story um, will uh, wrinkle the noses and brows of some skeptics. I'm going to tell you what happened. I wish I could change the facts to make it more believable. I'm not going to do that. And if some of you have to bail on me and my credibility, so be it. Um, 15 years old, I'm working as uh, a, I had a weird situation with this uh, summer camp I used to work at, this live action role-playing summer camp. Um, and I still do actually work there from time to time. It's called the Wayfinder Experience. Uh, you should check them out. They're a great, a great LARP camp for kids. I highly recommend them. Um, I started being a staff member there early. Myself and my brother got shares in the company when we were 15 years old wow. because we were running these promotional events that that got like that like doubled or tripled the number of kids that signed up for the camp. Like, you know, not too shabby. Was, yeah, not too shabby, right? Um, and I was helping load in for an event. And I think I was doing some like story stuff or something like that. And um, it's like 15 or 16. Um, and I'm walking uh, at this place called the Woodstock Day School in Woodstock, New York. It's Sunday. We're loading in. I'm doing what's called a land walk because we're, I'm, gonna, I'm looking for locations that we're going to use in our like LARP adventure game. I'm walking in between, it's like, it's sort of like a little woodland campus. It's a very hippie school. It's a day school. So it's Sunday. There's no kids there. Brightly colored buildings with lots of greenery and trees around little sort of pathway, like wood chip pathways and stuff. Um, I'm walking, um, breaking from the wood line of the actual forest and sprinting towards me is a young 
girl around my age. So, you know, like a teenager, adolescent girl, um, full glittery makeup, diaphanous white gown, barefoot and fairy wings on her back. Um, The fairy wings were clearly a costume, right? Like if this was a real fairy, the wings were still fake, right? Okay. Um, (laughs) uh, The wings are these big dragonfly wings and she's got again, like glittery makeup on sprints. And I'm looking and I go like, listen, I work at a LARP camp. It's not unusual to see someone in a fairy costume, but it's Sunday. There's not like participants don't even get here until tomorrow. We're like loading in the day before sprints towards me. I stopped dead in my tracks because I don't recognize this person. And like, I've been going to the camp since I was 11 as a participant. I know most people there, but I look up and I go like, hi, as the person runs up to me, they're like, hi. And I kind of like, are you here? Are you here early? Like this person's not supposed to be here till tomorrow. And they're not even supposed to be in costume until Wednesday. Like the first day or two of activities are like, you know, capture the flag and like lunch and stuff, you know, like workshops and stuff. She smiles, laughs, takes that coin that I showed you, which is this little brass button um, with a Chinese character on it and puts it in my hand, giggles and runs into the woods without saying a word. Um, and I am left there completely stunned. And I don't chase her because like, I don't, <laughs> that's a, that's like a strong move to be like, you need to explain who you are. Like, explain this joy you've entered my life. <laughs> like I'm going to grapple her to the ground and be like, that interaction was too strange. Explain yourself. Like it, you know, I'm like baffled and befuddled. I just watch her run and I'm like, Hey, and she's gone. Um, and I never saw her again. And if that feel like she doesn't, she doesn't come the next day. She's not there on Wednesday. If that feels like an anticlimactic ending to the story and you're at home listening to this and you're like, geez, Brennan, that story kind of just ends on nothing. You're telling me I never figured it out. It's 18 years since then. And I have this magic coin that some either someone dressed as a fairy or a fairy who like my mortal mind turned the wings into fabric so my like psyche wouldn't shatter at the understanding that magic is real came out gave me this token and sprinted into the forest um and i've kept it in my front left pocket sans the moments where it has almost mythically like vanished and then returned i've always managed to find it again um Kept it in my front left pocket ever since. I'm floored. I'm currently on the floor. (laughs) This is, this is the most magical thing I've ever heard. (laughs) Yes. You've encountered a fairy, sir. And they've blessed you with something. (laughs) Bob, for real, I am a hardcore skeptic. There are, but like, here's the thing, even being a hardcore skeptic, like, is this day school in upstate New York, specifically in Woodstock, New York? Yes. Is it surround, is the campus surrounded on all sides by residential homes that would have young kids or like teenage age children in them? Yeah, for, for sure. Is Woodstock probably have a high occurrence of kids that own 
fairy costumes. Yeah, I bet Woodstock per capita, there's more people owning fairy costumes sure. than your average, you know, Kokomo, Indiana. I bet. Even with all that, even if you're as skeptical as possible, some young girl dressed as a fairy and sprinted into the school next to her house to give a charm to the first stranger she met. And that that doesn't leave me feeling like a lot on like, like on way more solid ground either. You know, like that's yeah. just as shaky uh, for any number of reasons. I I I love this. I I half of me wants whoever did this to be a listener and to just like DM me right after this goes up and go, I did it. And then at it the same me. time, I never want it to be solved ever because there's something just magical about that. Uh, I have no idea what question I'm on. I'm so <laughs> this this rules. Um, I don't know where we're fifteen ish or the prize possession. Oh, prize right? possession. Thank you. I was staring at this and it was just it was just Latin. I couldn't make any details. Uh, Twenty. Are you competitive? Yes, extremely, extremely. <laughs> you know, people can watch me on Dropout on like Game Changer or um actually. I even did a college humor sketch about this called like winning at icebreakers, I think, or like or I think it's called I think it's called winning at fun. How to win mm. at fun. Was so the thing I would describe though is I, my competitiveness, like my favorite game in the world is D&D, which is not competitive. I, I am the dungeon master whose job it is to take L's nonstop. So like, I do not love competition. I actually mostly seek to avoid competition. Like my favorite board games are things like Pandemic or Arkham Horror, where me and my friends get to compete against the game. Mm. Like, and I think the way I would put it is, I, I actually realize this is true and I don't know what this says about me on like a, a psyche level. I'm not like one of those, you know, kids like the bad guy from Karate Kid who's like, you have to win. You are a winner. You're three winners. I actually don't really care about winning. I hate losing. And I don't, that's the difference for me. If I can share a victory, if I can tie for first place with everybody, that's my preference. Like I hate watching other people lose i don't want anyone to lose i want everyone to win i think there's i think that there are i hopefully everyone gets to win but check it out if somebody's got to lose it's not going to be me baby it's not going to be me i hope that we all get to win if we don't i'm not losing I'm so scratching that's scratching and clawing my way to not last <laughs> not last exactly a hundred percent i love it uh 21 do you consider golf a sport? Yeah, I think I do. I think I do because I've heard the definitions of sports of like, if no one's like something where you take a cart around can't be a sport. <laughs> like you're no one's running. If like, if you can be like an old aristocratic dude and be doing this, isn't this more of like a pastime or whatever? But I think like in my heart of hearts, when I think of sport, I think of like, are you doing some stuff that like, I fully don't understand how you did it. And like watching someone hit a hole in one, I'm like, that's magic. There's no, like, are you kidding me? Like getting a ball on the green? 
it, you know, like if you put a club in my hand, I like in a weird way, I would have an easier time. I like, in other words, it's also because I've played some of these, like I've actually clearly played soccer. I've played basketball and like touch football and, and, you know, like baseball or or at least softball, like uh, recreationally. Like I have hit softballs with bats. I have made baskets, you know, like I have done these things. Like you could put a club in my hand. I don't know that I even hit the golf ball. So it's, I don't think it's fair for me to say, like this is not worthy like if i can't do it clearly there's some trick to it that is worthy of some degree of respect okay i see where you're coming from i like it i like it uh 22 have you ever played any sports might have gotten a little uh, hint of it there hint of there played soccer for many many years played soccer for many many years when i was a kid mostly did tung sudo karate which is mm. more of a martial art than a sport. Um, but uh, I did I, I did like it, but once again, it was one of those things where I, I don't think I'm drawn to competition in that way, mm. even being a very competitive person. Um, I think that uh, when I played soccer, I played defense. That was my position. And I kind of liked that. There was no, there was no part of me that felt like, I got to go up and score a goal and get the glory. It was like, I'm fine. Just kicking it back here. This gives me, uh, this is better for me. I'm a little bit more out of the way. I enjoy this. Gives me about half the time just to enjoy the weather. Really? I did a lot of Bob. There were a lot of times because I started young. There were a lot of games where I got screamed at by an adult man because I, because so often the action would be in the middle of the field or up near the other goal. And I would straight up crane my neck full <laughs> 90 degree angle and just stare at the sky and kind of walk around in little circles. Um, just full. Someone would be like, Brennan, get your head back in the game. And be like, Huh-huh? and there'd be like someone on top of me as I'm just like <laughs> staring straight up at clouds. Oh um, my God. The, the the Hollywood definition of spacing out. Like, oh, that's exactly what you did. Hardcore. hardcore. Oh. I would be gone. I would just be gone. Just be sitting there thinking of gnomes or dragons. As you should. As you should. Um, to this day, still what I'm often doing. <laughs> that's, yeah, true. Uh, 23, favorite sport to watch. You know what's kind of interesting? Uh, even though it's an incredibly problematic sport with like the injuries to players and the ownership and stuff like that, I do think American football is, there's a reason that the things people hate about American football are why I think it works as a spectator sport. The Mm. constant breaks allow you to run to the bathroom, like Super Bowl parties, like a good seven layer dip, you know, fried chicken, good good food good snacks you got wings in front of you like um i used to bartend at bars that would that were soccer bars and there were like a lot of european clientele who would come in to watch soccer that game is unforgiving you're watching hours of play yeah and at any moment 
one of the only goals that gets scored could get scored. You got to use the bathroom. Oh, well, that's where a bicycle kick goal that becomes legendary happens. And you were going to the bathroom. You missed it. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Don't go to the bathroom for for the three for hours. Forty five minutes. Yeah, forty five minutes. And then you, you know, got like, it. Yeah, you got a minute or two, and then um, <laughs> I think that that the thing about the the structure of American football that really works is the is that idea of like we put ads in this. There's stops. There's stuff like that. Um, and it's again like. I think that structure of like, we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting, incredible dynamic action, we stop, is kind of perfectly built for a like viewing experience where you're with friends. That would, that's my two cents anyway. No, I, I think I agree. Uh, football was kind of designed for TV in a certain way, American yeah. football. And uh, yeah, I, I, I worked at uh, very similar bars like that. I worked in an Irish bar for about five years and yeah, anytime it was a uh, soccer day, I would get the exact same thing. There would be some guy who decided to become a soccer fan the day before, and he would inevitably go out for a cigarette break before the one nil goal. Yeah, <laughs> and and you, he's just like, "What I miss? What, what I, I miss? miss?" Yeah, you're like, "Don't leave! It's soccer." Yeah, Quick bartending me. story: I was bartending at Beckett's on Stone Street for the cricket world championship oh. between india and sri lanka i had to open the bar like yourself i uh, you know bartended at a lot of irish bars and i had to come in at 3 30 in the morning because this thing was going to play live in like you know uh, sri lanka and yeah. uh open the bar up there was a line when i got there of like wow. 50 you know, people waiting to come in and watch the game. And I, you know, run out and they're, they're all upstairs. It's private. It's this cricket game starting. And I'm like, they're all asking for like tea and coffee and all this stuff. That's hard as a bartender to make. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I got you guys. Like, let me just, okay. Like I'm the only one there running things up and down. And it's the funniest thing. Cricket is even crazier than soccer because the it's, it's one inning where each team is at bat for like four hours what (laughs) when i watched these players i was looking there's like one of the players on the indian team i was like this is a 55 year old man with a mustache and a beer gut his belly is perfectly round so he's hiding a basketball in his shirt what's happening wow what's going on and then you realize oh the 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 bodies of these players this sport is measuring one thing and it's, can you be in the hot Indian sun for eight hours and not die? Like the endurance. I was like, Oh, this, how long does this game go? And it's like, this guy's been running for two, two hours with a wooden bat. It's just like, it's, it's, it's an incredible. So you're like, that's why this 55 year old guy, he's, it's, he doesn't need to be like juiced up steroid, whatever. He just, his body is built not to die. That's what, that's battle all that's hardened. being battle hardened. <laughs> you could, this guy could walk on the surface of the sun and be fine. And the wild thing, by the way, was all the people that were there, that were there watching it, um, the first four hours, because it's each bat, each team is like at bat for four hours. First four hours, India is at bat. And I'm hearing, rah, 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 crowd going wild every time a point is scored. Next four hours, 
there was only there's a big population difference between Sri Lanka and India. I guess there was only one Sri Lankan fan. So it was four hours of one guy screaming every time his team scored and every Indian person upstairs just glaring daggers at this dude. <laughs> one. Amazing. It was incredible. One of my favorite bartending days I've ever had. It was great. Oh my God. I love it. <laughs> uh, question 24. Theme parks? Um, yeah, you know what? My stance on theme parks is pro. I'm pro theme parks. Um, uh, yeah, I love a good, I've been to Disneyland, uh, on a couple of occasions. And yeah, I think, uh, theme parks, uh, as a point of interest, I am for, I like roller coasters. I like the bad food. I like to be dropped from sudden heights. Uh, I like the whimsy and festiveness of it all. I'll take any theme park. I'll even, I'll take a, a weird old county fair. I might actually go county fair over big deluxe parks. There's something about the thrill of knowing that the entire structure hurtling through, through the air is like built of old wood. Mm-hmm. That kind of like, it's like, yeah, that adds a little spice to this in a good way. When you're in line for the roller coaster and you can see dust falling off the roller coaster as it moves, you love it. It's a little spice. A little, a little spice. spice. Ooh, a little, yeah. Mwah, we love it. <laughs> uh, question 25 dubbed the Ron Bennington after famous radio personality. You're standing in a wrestling ring and a wave of nine year olds, a random mix of boys and girls, coming down to the ring to fight you. How many? Of those nine-year-olds, could you beat in a fight? <laughs> the nine-year-olds, correct. They're coming at me, and there's this. This is this is an X right now. This is Schrodinger's nine years old. There could be there could be any amount of them. It's the amount I think I could take. Correct. So there are X amount of nine-year-olds coming down to the ring, and you're going to beat them. When it's X plus one, you're probably going to lose. Gotcha. Are the nine-year-olds? Do I have a way of beating the nine-year-olds without harming them? Like if I have a big American gladiator boffer <laughs> thing and there are some adults, adults in the wings that if I, if I knock a nine-year-old on his ass and you know, his mom or dad can come pick him up and it's like, okay, he's taken care of. He's out of here. Yeah. They've all signed the paperwork. The, the parental guardians are there. <laughs> right. They've, They've they've signed off on the dotted line. We have lots of uh, I don't know orange juice and Oreos or something. I'm not sure what kids right. like, but those things. Dunkaroos is that a still a thing? I don't know. It should yeah. be. Uh, <laughs> hell yeah! I could beat an endless number of nine-year-olds. <laughs> yes, yes. No <laughs> amount. Not not even close. Uh, endless nine-year-olds. Now a truly infinite. Because no- here's the thing, and here's why I define it that way. I will die of a heart attack, but that's on me. Like I killed myself. That's true. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like what's going to get me eventually is that my lack of sleep. Cause I think also too, during this time, like if there's Oreos and juice for the kids, I'm going to hop the rope and grab some for myself so I can stay fed. I can stay hydrated. Yeah. And ultimately I can even take rest as needed. Cause I can take, you know, like, I think that what could happen is 
I'll like get up on the ropes or I'll back up against something. But eventually it's the lack of sleep. Like lack of sleep will eventually, my arteries will harden. Um, and I think that's what's going to do me in eventually. So a heart attack will kill me eventually. These mm. kids are not going to get the credit for that. These kids, I'll mop these kids up all day long. <laughs> Holding long. any amount of American Gladiators paraphernalia at your, at your ready. Uh, but you're taking them all down. I, 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 all down. I, I love it. I think you join um, uh, Beth May from the Dungeons and Daddies podcast, who's a wonderful human being. She said infinite as well. And I believe her quote was, I'm going to be haunting eight-year-olds until they turn nine, just so I can start decking them. (laughs) Which is just the greatest visual I've ever had, ever. Uh, (laughs) Question 26. What's a game you know you can win. Truth or dare? Oh, I'm win truth or dare. that's good. That's good. I win truth or dare. Um, I my life is an open book. I don't really keep. I, I've tried, you know, I've tried to live my life such that there are not parts of my life that need to be hidden. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there's a great. Uh, the Duc de la Rochefoucauld, who's a French moralist, once said that perfect valor is to behave as though the entire world were watching when none were watching. Uh, and I try to live by that axiom. Um, mm. Do my best to, anyway. Um, so yeah, I would say I would say true the dare. I um, no, I, I will I will answer the question and I will do the dare. I love it. That's best mentality to have going into the game. I dare say. Uh, Twenty seven. What topic can you discuss the most? Philosophy. I can go ham on that. I'm an old old school philosophy major. Talking about ethics, right and wrong, really could just go, you know, the nature of reality, um, metaphysics, religion, all all that stuff. I could I could go ham. I get I even things I really care about, I eventually will tire of, but I think philosophy I can keep going on philosophy tirelessly fascinating wow uh 28 favorite place you visited istanbul oh istanbul visited when i was 13 years old an incredible city um so much history i would love to like live there and spend time there um uh re a really really remarkable place um just to see like the walls of Byzantium and to see the Sophia mosque. And like, it's, it's the fact that the city straddles the Bosphorus and there's sort of the, there, there's that old adage of like half the cities in Europe and the other half is in Asia. It's like, it's very, very cool. It's very, very cool. Wow. That sounds amazing. Uh, 29. What's your catchphrase? I actually have an answer for this, <gasps> bizarrely, and it's one of those things where it. I, this is this is one of the weird things about working for a company like College Humor, where you're playing a kind of like characterized version of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, get in the comments. It's they they made a mug with it on it, which they didn't. I didn't even know they were doing that. I just one day there was a mug that had it, and I was like, "What?" That's <laughs> the thing I say on the show. Um, but it's very funny because I the the term get in the comments comes from I, I am like 
Um, actually is an incredible game created by Mike Trapp, who's a, an amazing, amazing comedian. One of the, like just a, a comedy savant. Um, anyway, this game called I'm Actually, which is a nerdy competition show. And we've talked about how hyper-competitive I am. So I will sometimes not take no for an answer. I'll like badger Trapp to like be like, well, if you think about it this way, and I'll try to get him on technicalities all the time, which is really allowed on I'm Actually because it's a show about nerdy corrections. So there've been a couple of times where I'll give an answer that's technically correct, but not the answer Trap is looking for. And he'll be like, no, come on, that's not what we meant. And I will scream into camera, get in the comments, literally trying to get like my fans of like, tell Trap that he's being unfair. I'm being robbed. Uh, it's just a petulant, horrible, it's a terrible catchphrase. Um, filling up the masses. In a... <laughs> yes. I just love, it's one of those, one of those things that it delights me because of how bad it is of like a, a, a like internet person looking directly into camera and being like, everyone who loves me behave badly. Like it's so <laughs> against what I stand, like get in the comments is uh, is a poison in the world but mm-hmm. it does make me laugh it does really make me laugh a good giggly poison is <laughs> worth having around i dare say uh <laughs> 30 what's the best costume or cosplay you've ever worn the i think the best costume you ever wore was the coffee witch uh from college humor Denise Valentine, our incredible makeup artist, Denise is the best, one of the sweetest people in the entire world, uh, did full prosthetic witch makeup on me. We had this whole costume for it. Uh, it's just some of the best special effects makeup I've ever had. It like, truly transformed my face and was very, very cool. Wow. Very cool. Uh, 31, have you ever had anything named after you? Mm-hmm. No. I don't think I have. I do not think I've had anything named after me. Ooh, hey, tomorrow's another day. Tomorrow's another day. I'd love a sandwich named after me. <clears throat> this is this is my question that I, I include purely for my own braggadocious reasons. I do have a hot dog named after me. And it's... it is the highest honor I've ever had in my life. <laughs> oh, I can't even imagine. What a feather in the cap. Oh, my God. The Buell. What, what, what's, the, what's the recipe? And what is it called? It's called, it's just my last name. It is The Buell. Um, the Buell. And uh, I want to say it is chorizo sausage, fried plantains, like uh, little slices of them, and then a uh, spicy mayo and a sour cream and a cheese sauce on top. Oh and my it is God. heavenly good. Um, the, the place that serves it was no, is no longer in business. But on the day they went out of business, I ganked several of their menus. So I have uh, currently in the in the background behind me menus that forever will say the Buell, and it is my highest honor. Uh, Amazing! Amazing! <laughs> I love it so much. Um, let's see, ninety-two hobby you've dedicated the most time to. Dungeons and Dungeons and Dragons, and it's not close, my man. <laughs> it's not close. I was it's kind de- of expecting that, but yeah, yeah. Here's the thing: I do a lot of actual play D and D, a fraction, a fraction. From the age of ten to seventeen, generally speaking, I was playing D and D. All day Saturday, all day Sunday, and multiple weeknights. 
Like, that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot of D and D. Yeah, D and D, and and again, not even close. Like, improv might feel like, improv's probably like it was probably me, right? Brandon did a lot of me. No, dude, get in the back. It's not. <laughs> it's not you. It's truly not you. It's D and D. Yeah, easy. Wow. Uh, thirty-three. Who's a celebrity you've had a crush on? I mentioned Avril Lavigne earlier. She just popped back into into mind. Um, I think Avril Lavigne is probably the first that first one, um, and then celebrity I had a crush on. I met Lucy Liu at a, a uh, uh, at like a Q and A, a film Q and A when I was a film student in New York, and I remember saying being a conversation just telling her like hey i'm a huge fan and i love your movies and this movie was really great yada yada uh and i forget how it came up but but she was so personable and actually like spoke for a minute and i mentioned something about like in that way you do when you're like 17 years old and overly overly personal with people mentioned that i had just gotten through a breakup and she was like oh no well i'd never break up with you and i like literally turned around and left without saying anything incredibly rudely she said something very like not like flattering is the wrong word because she didn't mean it i was a 17 year old goober but it was a kind a kind thing to say she was yes. doing a kindness and my response was to go like, look like i'd seen a ghost go beat red turn around and walk away just walk just be like that's it this you don't even you don't even get a nod yeah <laughs> you don't even get a nod let alone words you said you said a flirty thing. Well, well I'm running away. I'm out of here. I'm get out of here. Flight so, yes. or flight. Uh... Fight or flight. So yeah, big crush on Lucy Liu for sure. That's a good one. Uh, both good, even with Avril. Uh, Thirty-four. What's the strangest job you've had? I mean, LARP camp counselor is is probably up there, and like professional dungeon master feels pretty bizarre as well. Um, the one that popped to mind was I. Th- this is like one of the worst jobs I think I ever had. Mm. Um, working in like like branded content live activation squads is just a nightmare. Like I remember being an improviser at UCB and um, being like orbit orbit gum is going to pay you guys to come. You're going to dress all in white. And your gum brand sponsors, and you're gonna walk into Times Square and try to give people gum. And uh, it was, um, I just remember how humiliating and sad and bad. It just it was, yeah, everything about it. Everything was bad with that. And I was like, this is weird. What skill is this using? I guess they are hiring actors because they're like you're desperate and shameless. You will go. Be, you will go dress in a weird costume and give gum to people. Um, yeah, that was that was not a banner day. That was a, yeah. that was probably one of the weirder ones. It doesn't sound ideal. Being gum. Being uh. gum. I'm gum. Have gum. This is me. Very Christ-like in a weird way. Here, take of my body. Yeah. This is I am gum. Here is gum for you. <laughs> have have of me. We're, you know, like yeah, weird and bad. Not fun. <laughs> the church of gum. <laughs> um 35 book you'd recommend the world to read. 
I think in terms of books that like very much changed my outlook on stuff or that were very helpful, uh, a people's history of the United States, like Howard Zinn, pretty, pretty formative to, but again, that's not, that's not applicable to people that aren't, that's very American centric, centric mm. of me. Um, uh, maybe I would just say like, honest, like honest to God, just a, like, whatever a good easily translatable textbook of world philosophies are like the most digestible easy primer on world philosophies something i can't even name but like that's the thing is books that are meaningful to individuals aren't necessarily broadly applicable so i would say that like the only thing i think of that would be broadly applicable that i think it's like oh like anyone could benefit from this is like uh how do other people think which is, you know, if you're going to recommend something to everybody, it should be applicable to everybody. And yeah. a book about what everybody has thought about the world at various times would be the only thing that I could kind of guarantee would be helpful no matter who you are. Um, so that's my answer. I think that's an excellent answer. A very thoughtful answer. I guess oh, thank so. you. Uh, 36, a movie that always makes you laugh. Big Lebowski. Have watched it many times with my dad. Get some, get some hot dog soup. Get some pizza. Get it some Rocky Road ice cream. Hot dog soup, by the way, is just baked beans and hot dogs. Oh, okay. I was, I was gonna ask because you were gonna ask. Yeah. <laughs> hot dog soup is very much like, hey, we're gonna go visit dad. Dad's making hot dog soup. Uh, but like either that or we get some pizza from Fat Sal's. Um, Dad would have a thing of Rocky Road ice cream. The best. Sit on the couch, watch watch Big Lebowski. Makes me laugh every time. Excellent. Uh, 37, what's the worst movie you've ever seen? Uh, <laughs> this one, there's probably a couple. I notoriously, I was going to say, the worst movie I've ever seen. The movie that I think has made me the maddest in my life is The Dark Knight Rises really the dark knight rise and i could i understand that this is a beloved film i understand that i'm treading oh wait is it the dark knight rises or is it That's... it's either the the dark knight rises or this movie called the holy mountain which is an artsy surrealist film that i had to watch in film school okay. um uh both for very different reasons dark knight rises which which would you rather me go ham on i'm gonna say dark knight rises purely cool. because i've never heard of the holy mountain so Dark Knight Rises. Are you a fan of the Dark Knight Rises? Should I know? Should I should I take your feelings into consideration here before I, I mean, before I pop off? I think it's the third best of that trilogy, so I don't hold it in especially high acclaim. I, think I hear you. I enjoyed. I walked out of the theater going, "That was pretty good," but that's about all I've thought of that movie since I've left the theater. Hell yeah! All I'm going to say is this: movie's about two and a half hours long. If you added up all the scenes that actually have Batman on camera, not Bruce Wayne, but actually have like a costumed Batman on camera, do you know how many minutes of footage you'd have? I do not know. I think it's about 28 minutes, which leaves you a, you could cut every scene with Batman out of the Batman movie and you'd have a movie that was about like five to 10 minutes too long. (laughs) Do you want me to go over the plot of, of The Dark Knight Rises with you real quick? Please do. Bruce Wayne is sad for 50 minutes. <laughs> he puts his costume on, gets his spine broken by Bane immediately. Mm-hmm. One fight, he's out. He is sad for another hour and 10 minutes in a cave. Mm-hmm. Gets out of the cave. 
puts his costume back on, fights Bane, immediately loses again. Movie ends. <laughs> go back and watch the movie again. Someone wants to tell me I'm wrong. Was tell- go back and watch it again. Go put back it, and watch it again. Put it in the comments. Two fights against Bane. He loses both times. He loses both times. It is... The movie thinks it's so smart. It thinks it's so smart. Like, it's so... It hates superheroes so much. Catwoman is never called Catwoman. She she doesn't have ears. She has, like, goggles that are kind of ear-shaped, reminiscent of ears. Bane is, like, has some philosophy of, like, oh, the chaos, the terror. And you're like, what do you think or believe? And it's like, ah, oh, this movie is written by a libertarian who hasn't really thought this shit through all the way. Kind of first thought, best thought over here in the Batman shop. Uh, it's nasty, terrible trash, and it makes me so, so angry. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I know it's beloved, but that's my, that's my hot take. Ooh, it just makes me so mad. I, so <laughs> I love the passion shining through. I absolutely Oof. adore it. Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> 38. Who's your favorite, actor or actress? Oh, uh, 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 Danny Kay. I'm going to say Danny Kay. Um, who is it? Uh, uh, people wouldn't probably wouldn't know him, but they should. He's a, a famous actor. He was st- the star of the Court Jester. Uh, he was in the. C- he starred in the original Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Um, uh, incredible, like theatrical performer, become f- film performer. Um, I, he's uh, uh, God. He's he's in some very famous movies. Um, White Christmas. Thank you, darling. Uh, my fiance <laughs> Izzy just chimed in. Uh, uh, he's in White Christmas. He's the other guy in White Christmas. Um, oh. He's incredible. Danny Kaye is incredible. Danny Kaye with a bullet. I like it. Uh, 39. How cool was it in Jurassic Park when the raptors were running through the kitchen? I'm going to say how cool was it when the raptors were running through the kitchen in Jurassic Park? That is correct. I, I think that scene to me is so terrifying that it pushes cool out and there's no room in the bottle for cool. Wow. Really? It's so scary. That is one of the best horror. I think Jurassic park, the more I think of Jurassic park about what genre of movie it is, <clears throat> I think it's horror. I think that's a horror. hundred percent. You know, like, and it's so interesting because it doesn't have the, it doesn't have the blood and it, like horror. It's not horror by aesthetic but it is horror by substance. Like yeah. the aesthetic is like jungle event. Like aesthetically you would draw parallels to like the color palette between like Indiana Jones and Jurassic Park. The, the score is more Indiana Jones. The, like the, the things people are wearing, how people choose to like solve problems, but really it's hard. It's a horror movie. Yeah. Um, uh, so to me, that scene I mean, like to me cool is a thing that makes me go like wow that's so cool and in that scene all i'm doing is trying not to shit my pants um <laughs> it's so scary it those raptors are they're so smart those that, that, lizards the reflection on the thing and the little girl you think she's getting it and it's the reflection oh my gosh it's it's incredible. just so well done it's so well it's done. so well done it's incredible uh question 40 first show as a kid you got really into first show as a kid i got really into if we're gonna go chronologically here it's probably gotta be something like stop it 
like the, like the actual legit answer is Sesame Street, right? Like little, like even like infant me is like, this shit slaps. <laughs> I love this. That guy counts. That guy eats cookies. I relate to that. Like that burger's so um, big. <laughs> that burger's so big. What's the deal? Um, uh, but I think I think by the time I was a cognizant, like there are shows that you're obsessed with were a kid where you're not like, oh, I appreciate this. You're just like, mm. put this, I'm like yelling at my parent to put this on. But I'm not thinking like, oh, this is one of my favorite shows. I think like weirdly Samurai Jack was the first one where I was like, mm. this is better than other shows. Like, I love this. And I want this to, you know, like there's something about that. that I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, I think it's that's the first show where it becomes part of my identity in a way where it's like, I'm the kind of person who likes Samurai Jack. Like mm. that's the kind of show that I'm into. Yeah. That's a great choice. That really was, it came at a certain time, especially, I want to say that's Jendi Tartakovsky, if I'm pronouncing is, that name yeah, properly. Is. And it was just post Dexter's Laboratory, which I adored and it couldn't be more different. But at the same time, I was like, I get it. I get this is coming from the same mind, exactly. if that makes sense. And hundred percent adored it. Um, forty-one. Who should play you in a movie of your life? Eric Stoltz, <laughs> the almost Marty McFly. <laughs> the almost Marty McFly. I think Eric Stoltz would do a good job. He would have to age him down, you know. Like they got that Irishman that tech; they can figure it out. Exactly. Do the Irishman thing and have Eric Stoltz play me at all the different stages of my life. That's my I, answer. I love it. Nice deep cut. All your viewers will have to go to IMDb now. It's great. <laughs> your listeners. Yeah. Uh, 42. Who's the biggest celebrity you've ever met in person? And I do throw a qualifier on this. I say that some sort of interaction had to have taken place. Like seeing yes. them at a concert does not qualify yes 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 unless they were like standing next to you in the crowd at the concert but you know what i mean um in order to uh like protect certain identities and everything else like that i will just say that i have been in james earl jones's home and met james earl jones um um but uh uh, and he's the loveliest man. I was I was at James Earl Jones's house, and there was a rule, and I hadn't met him yet. He he had not been home, um, but I was with some friends, and we there was a rule. We were like teenagers, and there was a rule that we couldn't. Um, we were in a room that we couldn't drink anything but water in. And I had come with a whole two liter bottle of Coca Cola, and I was like, I want some Coca Cola. So I went down by myself. Um, this was around New Year's. Went down by myself to get a drink of Coca-Cola. I was just going to drink by myself in the kitchen because I was the only place we were allowed to drink it. Yeah. Um, and I walk in and James Earl Jones is sitting at the kitchen island in his like PJs. Didn't know he was home. Um, with a newspaper in front of him with the news up on a little TV in the kitchen. And I kind of froze. And he was like, oh hello, you are one of so-and-so's friends. And I was like, oh. and uh, I was like, hi, uh, Mr. Jones. I, but I, he, like, he knew I'd come in for a reason. So I had to get my glass and then just sort of sit there and finish it. So I'm just standing at the kitchen island. He's sitting in his home 
and he looks over and there's a sort of awkward silence and he goes i'm like i think i'm like 14 or 15 he's like so what have you heard about in the news recently The greatest icebreaker for like a, a new teen. <laughs> Very funny because he's holding a newspaper and the news is on, so it's clear it's like on his mind. And this was right around. There was a bad tsunami around this time of year. I think somewhere in Indonesia, got, or Indonesia got hit very badly with this big tsunami. Yeah. And I was just, and I just the only thing I knew about happening current events at that moment. And I was like, ah, tsunami, terrible. He's like, yes, dreadful, a huge loss of life. And I was like, yeah. No, no bueno, man. It's bad. I hate it. And he was like, and he just, he, he went, hmm. And he looked up at the TV and kind of gazed away and full Mufasa voice went, something needs to be done about this. <laughs> <laughs> Heavily implying that he was going to call someone to, rever- I don't know, reverse the tsunami. Like, <laughs> to call someone and be like, geez, how the hell did this happen? You know, like. I thought I thought you were taking care of this. I no like, idea. That's the line that immediately precedes like a montage of him like strapping up with different like gear to somehow attack this tsunami. Like, what is he going to do? I don't know. But it's it was. I have never in my life felt more intense. Like when he said that, I was like where's the edit like you hear his voice and you're like we leave this scene now that's clearly the smash cut (laughs) how am i still standing here i'm clearly a background character whatever the hell is going on like it was it was and it like his voice is so resonant and it literally he said it and i was felt like i got goosebumps i was like i was like there was no doubt in my mind that he was going to do something about it when he said something (laughs) should be done about this i was like it's like if i was that tsunami i'd be fucking terrified He's a man of action. I would be. Yeah. You don't want that smoke. You don't want whatever that's going to be. I'm like, God, I'm so sorry. Let me just go back to the ocean. Just just a tsunami going, sorry, sorry, my bad. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I had no idea. I didn't know. Slowly backing away. Wow. Yeah, that's colossal. Uh, 43, TV show or podcast that you love, but you don't think anyone else knows about. A lot. Well, here's the thing. I don't think I watch anything that nobody knows about, but I will shout out mm-hmm. um, my friend Tessa uh, at Tess Curious uh, runs a thing called uh, the Curiosity Project, and it's really awesome. Um, uh, it's it's a, a, an amazing uh, an amazing podcast. My buddy Lou Wilson has been on it. Oh, nice. um, and uh, uh, it is a, uh, Tessa is a delight. Uh, she's a, a lady from Ireland who does incredible work, very charming and clever and funny, uh, and runs a great uh, interview podcast. Um, that's the, I like listening to that. That's my, I would, I would rate that in terms of things that, uh, let's say, should, should have an even wider audience than they already have. There you go. Beautifully cool. said. 44? favorite comedian my dad my my dad is a stand-up uh comedian um well he now he's actually a new york city public school teacher but for my entire life growing up he was a stand-up comic oh wow uh, 
uh, he's light speed funny. It's great. Uh, you know, my mom was a like sci-fi comic book writer and studied like mythology, Celtic mythology and stuff. And my dad was a stand-up comic and I have perfectly split the difference and walked the median in between their two uh, career paths. Um, uh, my dad's my favorite comic. Um, light speed funny. I used to be a little kid sitting in the back of the club watching my dad perform some of my favorite memories. That's amazing. Uh, 45 best Saturday Night Live cast member. Oh my God. Maybe I have to go for me, for my money. Let's, let's not, I'll judge best by their impact on me and go and go, uh, Will Ferrell. Gotta be Will Ferrell. Mm. I think he's the king, man. I, you know, the lover's sketch, uh, Robert Goulet, I drive a Dodge Stratus, get off the shed. I love what he makes fun of. He just makes fun of these hyper uptight. um, He just, all his shit is always about like the rage of normal people. You know, like the rage of people who have tried to do everything middle of the road. Um, And I love that. Did you see when... Will Ferrell came back on for SNL like, I don't know, last year, two years ago or something. He did the sketch. He did a sketch. I don't think it even made air, but they put the dress rehearsal on the channel. And it's basically the concept is um, the week prior to his show, Harry Styles was the host. And so the premise of the sketch was Harry Styles said no to a sketch. So Will Ferrell is going to prove he's one step above by playing this character that Harry Styles was supposed to play. And he just comes out and like, you know, this like Aeropostale, like super tight t-shirt and skinny jeans speaking in a British accent. And all the girls are like swooning over this new high school kid, but it's just Will Ferrell in zero makeup, like pretending to be a high school student. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most magical three minutes I've, <laughs> I've seen in a long time. That uh, is amazing. Highly, highly recommend. However you have to search for that, just find that. Um 46 this is a loaded question what's the nerdiest thing you've ever done i don't know bob what's the wettest part of the ocean you know (laughs) you know what are we doing here you know i i I don't know what to tell you it's all it's all bad it's looking back it's all bad you know there's no um you know what me and my three roommates jack griffin and connor griffin's my brother jack and connor two of my closest friends um uh spent months almost every night redesigning our larp camps magic system from the ground up nobody asked asked us to <laughs> nobody asked us to uh-huh. we uh-huh. let the other people running the camp know and they we were like the magic system needs a revamp and they were like what we're dealing with like land registration getting registration up and like land use and we're like registration will go up when the kids tell their parents how many tweaks we've done to improve how wizards work and they're like you're sick get help like it's not how this works and we were like watch uh and we truly spent months and months months some of the most gratifying but also like screaming arguments like someone being like that is not in keeping with the key design principle of the artificer class and we were like you don't know what the fuck you're talking about you know just heated 
But uh, it's also one of the most gratifying projects. We, we, I remember when we unveiled the new system to everybody, we were so happy and so proud. And there was just this huge reaction of people going like, oh, okay, I get, yeah, that makes sense. And we were like, it was all worth it for that, baby. It was yeah. all worth it for that three minutes of people kind of getting it. <laughs> oh, spell slots instead of mana. Okay, I got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, sure. For sure, yeah. I get it. Yeah, cool. that qualifies that certainly qualifies uh 47 least favorite state they jumped to me i you have to understand that these they're they're bob's podcast is not a rigorous scientific you know what i'm saying like i don't Mm -hmm. have a team mining data behind me i gotta (laughs) go with things that pop up i will say that the state I have ragged the hardest on in my life of any state, because we all know that there are states that get dumped on, right? Like Florida gets dumped on, right? Um, uh, uh, but I've actually, ha- I can't dump on Florida. I've had good experiences there. There's like a fun rivalry between like New York and New Jersey or like New York and Massachusetts, or even like not all of Pennsylvania, mostly just Philly. But like, yeah. there are things that you dump on about the states that you are, that are your neighbors and cousins and things like that. The one state that I've really let have it. Do you want me to just go? I, let me just go. I can read you the Instagram caption. I went on a cross country trip mm-hmm. and took, you know, Instagram pictures everywhere, all over the place of all the places we went. Yeah. Um, and Instagram, yeah, Instagram places all over all these different locations of like celebrating their natural wonders and the wonderful people that we met there and mm-hmm. all this shit, except for this one. And I'll read it. The picture is my brother over the shoulder of my brother holding a food item. Something has been done to the food item that prompted this reaction from me. And I'll tell you what it was at the end. Here's the caption. One of the things, so Instagram caption on this, in this road trip. One of the things we promised to do as New Yorkers on this road trip was to keep an open mind, fully accept with clear eyes everything this beautiful land has to offer and tamp down our deeply ingrained New Yorker superiority. And what we discovered was that the only thing more beautiful than the American landscape is the American people. State after state, we were greeted with bright smiles and kind words. Our different customs mutually celebrated as part of a rich uh, cultural tapestry, as part of a rich cultural tapestry. Until we got to Iowa, the butthole of the fucking world. Iowa, accursed and forsaken. Iowa, where they cut round, thin crust pizza into squares. I get it. You grew up in a pile of corn and were raised by cows. But let's get one thing straight. I'm not asking you to build an original raise at every truck stop just in case a a New Yorker blows through. I'm asking that should you take it upon yourselves to attempt making a pizza, you don't face plant at the fucking finish line by ensuring that huge swaths of the pizza I'm eating are completely unattached to a crust that I could hold on to and maybe even use to fold my slice like a goddamn civilized human being. And so help me if you try to come at me sideways with some after-the-fact Sicilian slice bullshit. I will bring God's own fury down on your heads faster than you can say, welcome to Iowa, home of the world's dumbest pizza. 
thank you. That's my that's my performance art. And oh. I found, believe me, I found out the hard way that there are a lot of states that do this bullshit, but Iowa caught the worst of it. I had friends from Colorado coming in and being like, no, Brennan, it's great to cut up a round thin crust pizza into squares. That way, all the middle parts uh, burn the shit out of your thumbs <laughs> and then you have a fucking ball of grease to jam in your face like a Neanderthal and other people get to have like basically a fucking breadstick with a little tomato sauce on it because they caught a weird corner piece. <sighs> why why they it's the the puzzle's been solved yes sli- triangles you got triangles. we got there triangles we got there it's easy it's easy oh my god you you can cut a pizza into eight pieces in four cuts if you cut slices yeah it's it's rather simple <laughs> i mean th- th- listen Culture is fascinating. And most of the time when you're studying culture, you will find moments where you go like, oh, like, why did this culture build their homes out of wood rather than stone? And you're like, oh, well, there's actually reasons for this. And it has to do with the landscape and the topography and da, 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 da. But sometimes cultures cut round pizza into squares and you go, that's wrong. Morality is not relative here. It's objective. You're fucking up. Get it right. Step your game up. Step your game up. (laughs) There's no thing this serves. There's not like a reason like, oh, well, in Iowa, people have claws instead of hands, so they can't do a fold. There's nothing like that. There's no reason behind it. (sighs) Oh, my God. (laughs) I see Bob wiping his eyes right now. This is the ragging on Iowa is the, the greatest. <laughs> they know what they've done. They know they what know they've done. done. They know what they've done. And the only, I will give no apology. The only thing I will say is Iowa, I am sorry that I only levied it at you. I didn't know at the time that there were other fucking states up to the, these shenanigans. So let me just say everyone else, you should take a big heap and helping of what I'm serving to Iowa here. Okay. Yeah, you're gonna catch these hands. All right. You're gonna catch these hands as well. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, amazing. Amazing. Uh once again, I'm just there we go. Uh lost on the list here. 48. Best thing you've ever won. Wow looking around my um the best thing i've ever wow the best thing i've ever won i would say the best thing i've ever won it's weirdly it was a very ill-fated thing there was one year that my larp camp gave oscars for performances in games which was like an old tradition from this other iteration of the camp but the problem is at a summer camp there's already like clickiness and popular kids and giving awards for shit is not ideal in the most circumstances. Yeah. That being said, I won uh, a little foam gold spray painted Oscar holding a little foam sword for best use of a spell in game. And I'm really proud of that to this day. I wow. cast a fear spell on a horse. And I mean on a real horse. We were playing on, on land at this thing where... Um, there was this we we were playing on land where some people that like owned the land often came to play with us 
<clears throat> and they would like sometimes they, they weren't like staff, but they were adults. So they were a little bit reckless at times with the kids and stuff like that. Okay. I mean, one person who was like a huge horse enthusiast. She loved horses. And so she would get in big costumes and get big foam weaponry and then ride a real horse. And it doesn't matter if your sword is foam, the horse is made out of horse. So it can't <laughs> participate. It's not like a boffer horse. It's like if, yeah. your hor- if, you're, if you're running me down in the street on a horse with a foam sword, I'm not clocking the sword and going, oh, phew, we're very safe. <laughs> you know, it's like, so I, I was this wizard. And also the, the character that this person was playing was some very powerful, like, fae, fairy, sorceress thing. And I was like, Jesus, how do I protect the kids I'm traveling with from getting run over in real life by a horse without like stopping, without going like reality check, stop the game and being like, what the hell are you doing? Use better judgment. You're an adult. You know, like, what do I do? Um, So instead I blew my horn, which is like, which freezes time in the game. The person choked up on the horse's reins to make their horse act out the spell and I, instead of casting it on the person who I knew was pretty powerful, I cast it on the horse. So I was like, you there, the very terrifying horse by my power as a mage of Gelgador. I put upon you a terrible fear spell. And though your rider is fearsome, I have to assume, hopefully, you're just a regular horse <laughs> and magic will probably work on you. Fear by the power of 10, fear. Uh, and sure enough, the person, to their credit, turned their horse around and acted out the fear spell on their horse's behalf. Nice. And even threw out a couple like, you horse, stop doing this, even though they were actively making the horse go and do it. So, few. <laughs> yes. Thank goodness that A, the LARPing went well, and B, no children were trampled. <laughs> trampled by a horse. <laughs> You know, you can only save a few, and that day we we walked away with everybody. So it's it, we it was we were, we were appreciative for sure. Phew, <laughs> very nice. Uh, fifty nine, uh, fifty nine, forty nine. Is there anything you've collected or had a collection of? Anything I've collected or have a collection of? Honestly, just like talismans and trinkets. I don't, you know, like mm. I have shelves all over my apartment that are just filled with like talismans and charms and knickknacks and little magical <clears throat> lockets. And I'm a big, I, I subscribe to the wizard, wizard chic aesthetic. I want a home that eventually looks kind of like Howl's Moving Castle, like just like tons of baubles. I never want to see a wall or a ceiling. I just want artifacts, artifacts everywhere. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Ideally, uh, if I'm if I'm buying a house, I want a door in that house to be a bookshelf that I can sneakily open via a secret book. That is living the dream to me. I love that. Uh, question 50, dubbed the Ryan Davis. Also, the last of the fighting questions. You're going to fight to the death with another person equal to your size. You're offered either an aluminum baseball bat or a six-inch non-serrated knife, knowing the weapon you don't choose goes to your opponent. Which do you choose, knife or bat? Roughly my size. Uh, basically exactly your size. A, 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 a shadow clone of yourself Some in, in some circumstances. 
Um, I'll take the knife. Take the knife. I think you're correct here. I'm I'm firmly team knife here. This is a, a hotly contested question, but you gotta be because look at the end of the day, a bat is not a fast weapon. It's not. It's not like. And also, if it's me fighting someone like me, no one is proficient in like bat jitsu. You know, like <laughs> yeah. even even someone that has like good the. the the bat, in other words, when you have a bludgeoning weapon, it needs to have enough speed to do damage. Like the whole point of having a sharp edge is you don't have to be going that fast to hurt somebody. A bat, if you tap someone with a bat, it's much different than tapping someone with a knife, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, I'm thinking about fighting someone about my size. The only way you're going to instantly kill someone with a bat is hitting them at full force in the head, right? Um, so if I, if I have a knife and they have a bat, even if we're starting far away from each other, if I run up and am watching how I'll just sacrifice my left arm, you know, at a certain point, it's like arm up over the head and okay, the bat's coming. I'm going to lose my, one of my arm bones is going to get shattered. And now I'm right on top of you, you know, from bartending, what, like 95% of fights end up on the ground. People don't being able to fight. Being able to start and end a fight with strikes alone means you are a next level combat genius. Like most people, whatever your, I know people at home, whatever your vision of yourself is, is like a tough guy or a badass. Unless you're a fucking Navy SEAL, you're going to the ground. You're going to hit each other. You're going to slap each other and you're going to be on the ground rolling around. Uh, So the answer is knife. We have so much more show for you i promise you you're not going to want to miss the second half of this but first let's just take a brief respite here and thank the wonderful folks who make the music for this here podcast like the song you're hearing right now is from the mini vandals and the song you're going to hear next is from dj williams the opening song is from diala and the closing one is from single friend if you like what you hear, give them some clicks. I'm sure they'd appreciate it. And if you like what you're hearing here, maybe tell a friend. You know, word of mouth is a powerful thing here. Or if you like algorithms, give us five stars on whatever you're listening to us on. I sure would appreciate it. But, uh, hey, we got plenty more show here. Let's get back to it. Obviously, uh, as we've discussed, you're you're kind of known for your D and D fandom. Your your uh, master of all things dungeon mastering in a certain way. Um, what I want to know is because I've listened to uh, a lot of NADPOD, which you have. Uh, uh, I've said publicly my favorite arc of the show. Uh, oh! You being on it, uh, truly, that's that that first season of 100 episodes is like my favorite thing ever <laughs> but yeah. that that arc is my favorite 
one segment of it. So oh, I'm so glad. And then Adpot, those four people are like the smartest, coolest. I love them so 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 much. Playing with Emily is like a dream come true. I mean, I played with her so much as a DM, but to like PC alongside her was great. And Murph is like, I mean, world class. Like he's he is. I I would put nobody ahead of Murph as a dungeon master. He's just so good. I still have, I will show this off here, my Wormwood dice box uh, signed uh, at a Philly show from all four of the Ah! uh, Mad Pod folks uh, with a crystal quartz dice set. Yeah, like you can kind of see there. Incredible. Look at that. I love it. I also might have have a black-on-black Damascus that I totally stole from you that I also bought, which is so choice. Hell yeah. Um, uh, But it is not about my dice, this question. Uh, My question is, you have an exceptional way of, whether it's in the campaigns that you're a PC or DMing, of building a world just through your words and your actions and your voices it makes it feel incredibly lived in something that worlds from a module just don't quite stack up to in a lot of ways. My question for you is how, is this something that you've just learned over the years or is there something where you go, okay, I'm going to sit down for this world and write out a 10 page something or other. Like how does that world feel so lived in? How do you get to that point where it's ready for the world okay this first of all this is there are premises baked into this question that are very kind thank you for the compliment embedded (laughs) in the question itself um secondly i know exactly what you mean in terms of like it's interesting you can look at these fantastical worlds built into modules or even like a lot of fantasy fiction, like novels and stuff. And you go like, you got all the castles, you got all the dragons, you know how to write what someone looks like, you know how to write how badass they are at sword fighting. Why does this feel so empty? Mm-hmm. Um, so I know what you mean. Um, there's a lot of dungeon. I think one of the most toxic things that people that give DMing advice do is give advice about world building that is logistical. No one gives a shit. People's favorite worlds don't make any sense. In Middle Earth, the sword that was forged a thousand years ago is better than the swords we're forging today. How? How? That nothing about technology works like that. <laughs> Did we forget? Why was this one guy so good at swords? In, in Harry Potter, the wizards, to deliver their mail, I know I've said this many times before, to deliver their mail, the wizards have elected to use a postal system by nature's slowest flying bird. No bird flies slower than owls. Also, every adult wizard can teleport so why the hell are you giving a letter to this poor bird when you could teleport it where it's going by yourself? It's cruel. It's so cruel. It's so cruel. Um, that's not what people like about worlds. Like all that logistical nonsense, people ignore it. People don't care. People don't care. They're not narcs. They don't care. 
So why, why do worlds like Middle Earth or Hogwarts that have such huge logistical holes in them um, rule people's minds as um, world building that makes us go like, <gasps> where people are obsessed and they keep coming back to those worlds over and over again. Um, a fantasy world is supposed to make you feel something. And all I can say is when you watch a Miyazaki movie, it's not an accident that wind is in every single Miyazaki movie. There's the grass and the trees blowing in my neighbor Totoro. There's biplanes and flying things in Castle in the Sky. Uh, we see all of this. Uh, we see all, we're always like by a bay or see like caps of white on the water from wind and seagulls flying. All this flight and wind stuff. And what's the feeling you feel in your chest when you're watching most Miyazaki movies? Levity. Like you feel that sense of adventure of like... <sighs> Like you're, like you're inhaling, like getting bigger and want to float. It fills you with levity. Um, th that's why his world building is so incredible is because uh, the first thing that a storyteller needs to know is that the, the one of the primary things you're doing, and I'm going to use this word because it's accurate and it's a much maligned word, but it's manipulation. You're trying to manipulate people. Mm. You're, when you're a camp counselor telling a scary story, what are you trying to do? You're trying to say words in an order to make someone scream. What are you doing when you're on stage doing improv or performing a joke? You're trying to, I'm trying to do something. Like your body's just sitting there in the audience. I'm trying to do something with my body and voice that's going to make you have an unhinged autonomic response. You're going to open your mouth and go, <laughs> like without meaning to. Yeah. That's what an insane manipulation. And we want it all the time. We want to be manipulated. Make me laugh. Make me cry. Make me scream. Do something to me, right? Um, looking at it from that vantage point, when you are building a world, you need in your head, I don't want to say the back of your head, more like in the middle of your head should be a tuning fork, should be a color palette, should be like your set of spices that you bring out. If you're like, okay, I'm gonna, I want to make a dish that tastes like, you know, savory Mediterranean. I want to make a painting that feels somber and cool. I want to make a piece of music that swells up like this. When you're building a world or a campaign setting, um, every single brick you lay down to the names of the towns and what the NPCs are like and everything has to have that conductor beating that baton, has to have that little thing in the center of your brain that's hitting the tuning fork and going, everybody stay in key with this. We're trying to make people feel like this, right? Mm. Now, obviously like any orchestra or any meal or like any symphony or any meal or any painting, it's not going to be one color or one ingredient or one whatever. You're going to use a lot of different stuff. But the point is, it's united around a motif. It's united around an idea that allows for variation, but keeps everything in pitch, in key of an aesthetic consistency. And it should be rooted not in a random piece of logistical information, but in the thing you're trying to make your players feel. Mm. absolutely fascinating uh and yeah i i think i think that is the the difference it's the emotional response it's not the 
wait a minute the economics of this world don't make any sense it's the emotional response you get from it yeah um a million uh a million percent a million yeah. percent yeah i uh, but I, I do believe that, I believe that it's, it centers on that emotionality for sure but of course we have so many more questions we have to get to but half, yeah. approximately i'm no mathematician <laughs> uh question 51 what's your phone wallpaper right now um uh it is my phone wallpaper right now is a wonderful uh picture of my fiance izzy holding a giant blanket that her friend got her uh mm-hmm. with uh our cat metallico on it so he i don't know if you can see um that oh, that oh is my a gosh. it's like a photo finish on a blanket and it's izzy um <laughs> stunned and bewildered by the the enormity of this gift um a, a wonderful gift and a beautiful photograph uh that serves as my phone lock screen excellent name of a cat by the way excellent. metallico that's all izzy roland metallico the cat um uh a boy uh metallico was named when izzy was very young uh and i think the lot the logic may have been like his name is Metallica, like after Metallica, but Metallica is masculine, whereas I guess Metallica would be the feminine Ooh. ending of the word. But yeah. I guess tell that to Metallica, you know? Hey, breaking ground. I like it. <laughs> uh, 52. What's the last thing you Googled? Oh, we can actually, I can actually look at this and find out, oh, right? Oh, I love it. Yeah. Uh, the last two things I Googled were for this podcast. So it's, <laughs> it's the Curiosity Project and Mola Mola. Oh, um, of course. Uh, before that, it, it was Marid 3.5, which is a type of water genie in Dungeons and Dragons. So I was Googling the stats oh. for uh, a type of genie in uh, 3.5 edition d and I was going to say specifically in 3.5. Very exactly. interesting. Uh 53 you have to name your next pet without seeing them what do you name them walter definitive definitive stern with i it. like it i walter. like it. 54 what professional wrestler would you compare yourself to oh now this is i i will say there's a huge overlap in the improv and sketch comedy community and WWE fans, I am on the slim edge of the outside of one of those circles. <laughs> and now you might imagine that my bohemian, you know, neo-pagan uh, artsy family did not tune into a ton of wrestling stuff, but, ba- and I'm going to tell you, this is based on literally nothing other than what you can osmos in five second blips perfect from my friend stuff um i always really liked mankind um i always really that that that's mick foley right oh yes it is yes the the sock puppet he it's he seemed affable and like he had a sense of humor have never seen him wrestle always got great vibes am i way off is this a guy that is not beloved within the wrestling space or am i picking correctly is he not only beloved I will reach back to my shelf of prized items here. <laughs> this is a signed Mr. Sacco signed by Mick Foley. He was at a stand-up show and I 
I brought it along for him to sign. Uh, he is an absolute legend. He Isn't is- it great? But like I, as someone who, and again, there's no, there's, I have no distaste for wrestling at all. It's just one of those things where some parts of culture totally miss you. Mm-hmm. I just, I, the, that guy's vibes are so powerful that a complete <laughs> novice not even not novice implies that you're beginning a complete stranger is like that guy rules i just sense that that guy rules he out of character he is a great guy he gives a ton of money to charity every year uh he is a great writer he has like four or five autobiographies at this point um just like chronicle wow. different chapters of his life excellent really really funny writer uh and then in character he is one of the most fascinating like I, I am one of those wrestling nerds that like really loves it for the 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 minutia of it, and yeah, his character is is someone who's just like willing to take all risks and leap off buildings and jump off of things and get smashed in the head with chairs. But then, as soon as he wins a match, classical piano music plays, and he just sits there and slowly rocks to himself and like vibes out and calms down and like it's he's a really he's a he's a i would love to see a youtube psychoanalysis of his character is what i'm saying Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> it's uh i think you've made an excellent choice oh thank you as my signed sock uh does indicate <laughs> uh 55 what's your comfort food on a bad day Of recent memory. Oh, in, in recent years of my life, carne asada burrito from Tacos to Madre really does does some heavy lifting. Mm. Um, I would say different chapters of my life, there were places. I would also say uh, Vanessa's in Chinatown back in New York, four dumplings for a dollar can't be beat. Um, uh, I mean, truly, you can put down five dollars and get twenty dumplings, and that will that will soothe a shattered soul. I have found um, those would be my two go tos for sure. That's phenomenal. I might, if that place is still in Chinatown, and when all this craziness in the world clears up, that's a good spot to go to. Oh, it's incredible! Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Fifty six favorite smell. Uh Hot smell of laundry being done, New York City. Walking down the street, New York has a wide variety of smells, baby. And uh, there's something about walking through past an open door, past a vent, and you just get that that pure laundry smell, the hot laundry smell. Yeah. Oh, unbeatable. Especially when there's a visual element to me. And, and let me know if this, it, when it is a cold day and you see it like shooting from a vent out, it just adds a little extra something to it. Oh, it's so good. It's <laughs> just so good. I love it. Yeah. Uh, 57, best candy. Best, best candy. The oh, best yeah. candy. We're getting into the hyperbolic section here. <laughs> um, Going back to my basic roots, it's a Snickers bar. It's a full-size Snickers bar. It, it, 
it goes toe to toe with any other kind of candy in terms of taste for me. First of all, thing about me in general is I always go for classic confection tastes over fruit tastes. Like mm. I'm not going to go towards generally speaking, like heavy, like sour or citrus or fruit or floral. It's like chocolate, caramel, like give me, give me the, the, like, these are only associated with desserts. These tastes are dessert tastes, right? Yeah. Um, and a Snickers bar, I had my life saved by a Snickers bar a couple of times. That ad campaign of like hungry, why wait? There is something, if you're like really broke and hungry or you're busy or like, I can tell you how many times running around in New York, it's like, it's like lunch today will be a Snickers bar. You know, like, it, like that's, I'm sure I could get something with more calories for a dollar, but am I going to get something that makes me as happy for a dollar when my poverty is making me like bone crushingly <laughs> sad and scared at all times? Like, no, I'm going to get the Snickers bar. This is what's good for me. Yeah. Um, and it actually it fills you up. It fills you up. It's filling. It's got a little bit of everything. Where can you go wrong? Uh, 58 worst candy. Necco wafers. I think Necco wafers are the worst candy. They're really bad. They're yeah. not fun to eat and they don't taste good. They're just, they're just nothing. It just feels like you're wasting do, calories to a certain degree. Yeah. Do you, Hey, do you want some soapy chalk? <laughs> that tastes like a, like the sad memory of a flower. Like, no, I would love, no, this is so bad. I don't want this. Someone ran Smarties through a de-sugarizer and just, <laughs> here you go. We like super inflated some Smarties and took out all the sourness and, but the sugar, what the sugar, something about, about the lack of density, the sugar all went away. So yeah, these are pretty bad if you want some. There you go. Now I'm on these for a while. Beautiful. Uh, 59. What's a restaurant you'd recommend? Cowgirl Seahorse, Dover Street by the Seaport. Um, uh, uh, it was my favorite spot um, in New York. It was right by Gold Street where I used to live. Cowgirl Seahorse was the best. They did this like Cajun food with Tex-Mex. Um, they had this incredible thing. For, just like they would bring out fresh made tortilla, chi uh, tortilla chips with what they called Texas caviar, which is basically just like a black eyed peas salsa. Um, really filling and just free on the table. They they had like uh, fried fish that were just this like like uh, uh, boneless deep fried white fish that was so so good. Seasoned like Cajun fries that were super thick. Um, God, they were so good. And they had a dessert there called an ice cream baked potato, which I know sounds berserk. It was just a fun, they were just fun. They had that goofy, kitschy, like, again, like Tex-Mex, Cajun, like, like kind of Gulf of Mexico themes, like outboard motors and little like plasticky neon glowing seahorses everywhere. And like, they had like a rodeo cowboy next to like <laughs> Poseidon with a trident giving, with like sunglasses giving you like a peace sign. The vibe was impeccable, like Christmas lights up everywhere. Um and uh, the ice cream baked potato was some like gourmet, this like com small company that did, they did like a hand shaped potato shaped scoop of vanilla ice cream. There's a gourmet vanilla ice cream rolled in like fine, rich cocoa baking powder, which would give it 
it, it would seal in the moisture because that, that powder is so dry. Yeah. So it would stop the ice cream from melting, but it would also make it the color and kind of look like a potato. And then they would cut it open, put whipped cream to look kind of like the sour cream on it. So you're looking at a baked potato and you're like, oh my God, this is like ice cream and chocolate whipped cream. And they had this incredible hot fudge sauce with walnuts that the, just so chocolatey. Because like plain vanilla ice cream is not the most exciting thing in the world, but it was basically like the bitter cocoa powder, the whipped cream, the vanilla ice cream, and then this incredible rich like chocolate sauce on it. One yeah. of my favorite desserts. Um, if you go there, and they still have it up on the wall, about six, like me, I mean, not six, maybe like four and a half, five feet up the wall, there's a chalk, a blue chalk line going around the entire brick. It's a brick wall restaurant. Old, old. It's right under the Brooklyn Bridge. Literally, it is under the Brooklyn Bridge on the Manhattan side. Wow. And if you look at it, there's a blue chalk line. That's the water level from Sandy. The place com- was completely destroyed by Sandy. Wow. And a lot of places, it's so, there was, there was something listen sandy was awful however there was something about all these giant corporate owned like restaurant biz dev chains in the seaport getting totaled and never coming back and this one restaurant that was independently owned cowgirl seahorse which was like the farthest out of the way the the least tourists the most locals that one got totally destroyed and the entire neighborhood came and built it back and like that that's the story you want to hear that's what you that's amazing yeah. Because, yeah, yeah, Sandy was, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, not good. Not good. <laughs> my, my, yeah. my, my parents had a, a little sea, sea house, I was going to call it. That's a, <laughs> it's just a house that was by the beach, but yeah. on the New Jersey side. And, yeah, literally the water was past the air conditioners in the windows. Like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. Sandy was so bad. I was tra- Our block, Gold Street, what, uh, uh, we were, I don't know, to, to, put, to put it how crazy it was, there was a solid line of the red and the orange zones in downtown Manhattan. Yeah. And the red was, get the fuck out of here now. Why are you still here? Mm-hmm. Like, did you need the government to tell you to go somewhere else? <laughs> yeah. Get it together. And then orange was like, listen, if you're gonna stay, strap in, baby. Because we're not, the chopper's not coming. Yeah. Our house was there was a there was a single line separating red from orange, except for one block of orange biting into red, which was our block. <laughs> so we're surrounded by red on all sides. And the city made some determination, like, you guys can stay if you want, but I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> oh my god. We looked yeah. out the window and saw waves crashing on the intersection by our apartment. Like just like, oh look, there's there's the bodega and there's waves. Should yeah. we go? <laughs> Should we leave? Is it too late? It was uh it, that was a bonkers couple of weeks. Uh the storm itself was about two weeks, but or two weeks, like two days, but yeah, I I think my work was out of power for two weeks, my my house was out of power for two weeks. It was just just bonkers all around oh but, uh, yeah we could do a whole podcast just about stories from that period we were yeah. we were way downtown we were by the seaport so we were without yeah. power for weeks yeah. and some some of my roommates actually tried to stay and i was like what are you fucking mad max leave like <laughs> yeah. get out of here and then yeah it was it was it was wild 
yeah luckily i had a, a girlfriend at the time who was like way up north and i was like i'm staying with you exponentially now <laughs> like <laughs> that was the... i have no power anywhere else yeah truly wild uh, bonkers stuff but hey you know made it through so did cow cowgirl see cowgirl seahorse cowgirl check him out Dover the name right. in in uh, the seaport that's awesome uh 60 what's a food you've never eaten I mean, there's got to be a zillion types of food I've never eaten. Uh, uh, trying to think of like a notable dish that I have not. Oh, I've never, I've never had borscht. I've never actually had borscht. Oh, I know what it is. I've seen it, but I've never had it. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. There's some good if you if you make it back around to New York. There's some good Polish places up there. Polish Hell yeah, man! I mean, spots that are listen. I've had borscht right next to me at Veselka more times <laughs> than I could. You know, there you go. Veselka <laughs> slaps, baby. But you yes. know, if I'm at Veselka, I'm getting pierogies. I'm getting I'm getting uh, latkes. I'm getting potato pancakes. I'm out here trying to have a. You know, I'm going with the hits, the standards. You get a stuffed cabbage. You get a little horseradish vodka, and you call you call it a good evening. Well, I'll get that. That's fine. <laughs> It's a good time, is all I'm saying. I believe it. Uh, 61. Strangest food you have eaten. Strangest food I've eaten. Well, I think, like, yeah, the strangeness of food is arbitrary, right? Because a food that's strange to me is completely normal to someone else. I will say that I committed to a bit one time and, um, fully ate an entire central park tree leaf in front of a group of children i was role playing i was i was we were running like larp programming for them it's like a summer workshop and i was like playing a monster in a game and i was like pretending to graze on trees and i was like oh like like, i'll be i'll be funny like i like being goofy around kids so like i'll take a bite of this leaf and one of the little boys who was like kind of not a a little jerk kid was like he's not really gonna eat the whole leaf he's not really a monster which if you say that to anyone with a comedian instinct gauntlet thrown down gauntlet (laughs) thrown down and i was like watch me eat this whole leaf off this tree and i i say oak anyone's guess could have been any truly any kind of tree i'm not a tree doctor so i don't really know but i ate some kind of leaf that's probably the weirdest food i've ever eaten Uh, that qualifies certainly uh 62 what's a typical day off now when you say day off what do you sort of what is that that and that that term has become a little more blurry in the last oh i don't know i'll say year yeah uh, exactly. just arbitrarily choosing a time frame there um but an active a weekend whether that is your weekend or just a day that you have no prior engagements a day an honest to god day with no prior engagements listen i can give i can give an answer where i like spin a story about self-care and how on top of shit i am there's nothing i love more than a day where i don't have appointments but that day will be trying to get to inbox zero doing laundry showering shaving doing all those other things that eat up days at other times when i'm busy and the miracle of having a day like that is that's when i will try to write some of a book or a screenplay or or a pilot and like like do those jobs that no one's asking you to do like the truth is 
a day really doesn't go by where I don't work to some degree. Um, you know, there are days on the horizon where I will be a married gentleman and have children and responsibility to them. Now I am uh, young and healthy and able-bodied uh, and f uh, uh, plenty of time was frittered away in my youth. There shall be no frittering anymore, Bob. A free we, moment is worth its weight in gold. Every the frittering off the menu. <laughs> I, yeah, it is really, it is very true though. Like free time to me is just like, it's like, oh, thank God I'm done working. I can finally work. <laughs> I finished all this work. Now I actually get to work. It's a go-getter attitude. And dang it if I don't respect you for it. <laughs> uh, 63, bucket list item you've accomplished. Oh, shit. Bucket list item I have accomplished. Um, I don't, I do not have a formal bucket list, but I think the thing that I've accomplished that maybe is, is, St like still a little bit like stunning to me there i think there are things that bucket list items have accomplished oh going to ireland with my family like hmm. that was never on a bucket list for me but it's a thing that if i had gotten old and had never done it would have made me terrifically sad so i guess that is in a way on on an informal bucket list yeah. um going to ireland um yeah that that was uh that was incredible and i want to go back as soon as i can it's a wonderful island full of the most charming uh people in the world um and it's it's just really lovely i love it there oh that sounds amazing uh 64 reverse side of the coin here bucket list item you probably won't accomplish um ridding the world of evil <laughs> Mm -hmm. it, I Bob and don't turn this around don't twist my words here okay. it, if I can if I see the shot I'm going to take it but I'm just you know I'm looking at the problems of the world and it's just feeling like oh this is a real uh, this is this this one's a doozy you know the the existence of wickedness in the hearts of men uh you know feels like um you know this might be that thing like they talk about how cathedrals like when a cathedral was going to get built in a medieval european city uh, the town would rejoice because it would mean generations of work it would be like oh you and your kids mm. and your kids like this is gonna be done for 200 years you know um so that's kind of how that's i feel you know like i feel like ah eh, probably probably i will die and there will still be problems in the world um and that you know so that's a bummer but yeah, 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 that's a bummer. But you know, uh, you do what you can. You pass the baton. You you know, you hand the hand the baton off to hand the torch off to the next generation. That's it. Make the make the world as shiny and nice as you can right now, and and hand it off. Hand that's, it off. You know. But if you see an open Necronomicon or whatever, just close it. <laughs> if I see, if I find all the Dragon Balls somewhere and go, oh shit, I can get rid of harm. <laughs> I can get rid of the concept of harm. Oh. 
amazing. You'd probably just wish Krillin back to life or something. That's all they ever did. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, tomato, tomato, because Krillin could stop all bad things from happening. So that would be great. Amen to that. <laughs> uh, 65, dubbed by previous guests, the realist question of the oh. bunch. Oh, wow. Name of a friend you don't keep in contact with, but regret it. Oh, my God. It's a juicy one. That is a juicy one. I think there's something interesting to this question. And you let me know if this is a cop-out or not. Okay. I want to give a cop-out answer. If I really regretted it, I'd contact them, right? Potentially. I think I, I think in an ideal circumstance, yes. But I think there are times where it goes, I'll text him tomorrow. I'll te- what am I going to say? I'll text him next week or I'll, you know, I'll write him a thing on, I don't know, Facebook or whatever people use. So yeah. it, I, I, I don't take that as a cop out if it's just a matter of, hey, you know, two roads going in two different directions. There's no there's no qualms about that, but. It's very interesting. Well, no, it's, I think I have a very strict definition of regret. I think to me, I think I have a strict definition of regret. And I think that I, I have distaste. It's fine to regret something that you cannot change, but people who regret things in an ongoing way, I think I furrow my brow and I go, do you regret it? Or is it something that just makes you feel not great? Like regret to to me, I've been thinking a lot about apology recently. I've been thinking about the idea of like, when you apologize to someone, to me, the meaning of an apology is I understand that what I did was wrong. And not only that I understand why it was wrong, I understand, like I understand why it was wrong. I wish it hadn't happened. And if I could do it again, I would do it differently. And I think that last part is important. I think apologizing for something but really you're like oh i would absolutely do that shit again like that is there's something whack about that that's not that's not right to me because then what you owe someone is an explanation and not an apology if you're like hey that thing you're upset at me about i'm gonna explain to you why i did it i wouldn't change what i did here's why i did it you are owed an explanation, but that's still not an apology. To me, to me, regret is a fundamental component of an apology. So something that you regret in an ongoing, if you're not changing your behavior, I don't think you regret it yet. And I know that that's, hard, maybe that's a harsh judgment, perhaps on previous guests of this podcast. Maybe. Maybe. But I would say you might feel uh, melancholy about it. You might feel sorrow. I don't doubt that you do. But to me, regret has to imply a certain fury at the passage of time. When I regret something, it means, God, I wish I had a time machine. I could do that differently, which believe me, I feel regret constantly. I feel regret about an boundless number of things. And I go, God, I wish I I could do that differently now. Um, uh, So I don't know that regret is an emotion I can feel in an ongoing way. I think regret has to be more acute and sharp than that. Um, But um, I will also say, t- t- if in the case that that is a cop-out, um, in general, um, I accept the changing of relationships over time. I have friends that are like family to me, 
I have friends that we go months or years without seeing each other and we see each other again and we embrace and it's like not a single day has passed. And there are other people who move out of your life. Um, and I think that all of those things are natural. It's okay. I don't, I don't think any of those things are wrong. Um, people come into your life uh, and bring value to it and hopefully you bring value to them and uh, not everything needs to last forever, nor uh, do some things need constant attention. Some things are so established that they just exist forever. And that's beautiful too. Yeah. I think that is a very healthy way of looking at it and certainly not a cop out. Thank you. I appreciate it. If people think it is, leave it in the comments. But I don't <laughs> think it is. <laughs> I got, I got, got in the comments, did, did. Get in the comments, did, did. Oh, no. I had, I had to slip it in there just real quick. <laughs> <laughs> uh 60 boo, 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 66 what's a game that makes you feel nostalgic a game that makes me feel nostalgic um <sighs> magic the gathering something that i played a lot when i was younger and then gave up uh, and kind of kind of moved into just playing D&D. But there was a period where those two things were really running side by side, where I was playing Magic. Um, uh, and it's funny because Magic is so much the moneymaker of Wizards of the Coast. Like D&D yeah. is such small potatoes compared to Magic the Gathering. Um, D&D is, a, it's so funny because I, I will read people talk about how expensive the Dungeons and Dragons rule books are. And that's, that, that, that is an accessibility issue. And they're right. Anytime something is, you know, those books are 50 bucks each. Like that's yeah. expensive. But as a poor kid, let me tell you, when I was playing Magic the Gathering and, um, or maybe I, more accurately, let me say, as a broke kid, as a kid that, that you know, uh, uh, money was, was often not around, um, poverty, I think, means something a little bit different in some cases than just being uh, uh, broke. But um, I remember being into magic and loving magic cards and doing magic cards. And there were some Christmases where we got booster packs and stuff and it was incredible. Uh, and then I had some friends that had money um, start taking it seriously and never won a game again. And uh, you know, that's true in magic, the gathering it's true about Warhammer. Um, and so if you're, if you're a kid for whom money is a little bit of an issue, I think, yeah, the D&D books are certainly expensive, but, um, you know, if we want to talk about um, the cost of the player's handbook in like third edition and the hours of play I get out of it. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about like l less than like a penny an hour. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. fractional sense and stuff like that. Like even if even if over the course of my life I've dropped like a grand on D and D paraphernalia writ large, which even which might not even be true. It might be less than that, right? Like yeah. it might be a couple hundred dollars on D and D stuff. It's like, oh, that you know, like I've played a trillion hours of the game. So uh, that's an element of it, I think. No, that's a huge element of it. Because that's the exact reason I got out of Magic the Gathering. Because it is just like another expansion just came out three months later. And now what do I have to do? Completely throw out my old ones? No, yeah. thank you. I am <laughs> hard passing on this. Yeah. All respect to the game. It's a great game. But great game. Very fun. Yeah. Built very well. Uh, 67. <laughs> 
I think I know the answer. What game have you spent the most time playing? Yeah, that would be D and D for yeah, sure. That's yeah, that's what I am. <laughs> moving right along. Uh, Sixty-eight. What's something you've built with your own hands? If IKEA furniture counts, then the desk right in front of me and a bunch of other stuff in this apartment. Um, other stuff I built with my own hands. I just did a little fun home improvement. We have a bunch of fun little Christmas lights, like sort of fairy lights around, um, which you have to constantly plug in and plug out. We did, a lot of them don't have switches in them. And I went, this is not building, well, but I did, I built a little structure in our bedroom to house a surge protector so that we didn't have to like reach behind our bed every night to unplug these lights. And now there's a little switch that we can flick. And I felt like a, 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 a dad to be had the dad <laughs> energy is building. I mentioned it like five times in a row to Izzy. I was like, I'm so glad about this little switch caddy that now we have. And she was like, it's nice. And I was like, oh, God, I just love it. It's going to make life so much easier. Just was, it was, it was, Hands it was on honestly, hip, just like stared at it going, look at that thing. <laughs> look at that thing. Look at it. Uh, I am still riding that high. It's a more powerful high than I've felt in a while. That's that's where I'm at. That's what nice. your 30s are, baby. You build that switch <laughs> caddy. And I'm just like, I'm like going out to a bar to, or, go, or going to a concert. I'm here building a switch caddy. You guys don't know what pleasure is. I'm going to get off on this harder than anything you've ever <laughs> Trust me. I remember my 20s. This is better. Building the switch caddy. Click, 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 click. Right there. Do you know how much it sucks to have to reach behind the bed a little bit? It sucks. It's death. It's hell. And now life is paradise with this little click, 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 click. You hear that, 20-somethings? You hear that? <laughs> no, it's, I'm, I'm lying. I didn't, I didn't go to clubs in my 20s either. I've always <laughs> been in my 30s, so it's fine. <laughs> You were born 32 years old. I was born 32 years old. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, uh, 69. Best pickup line. Obviously, I never, I've never, I don't think I've ever used a pickup line in my life. Certainly not things that would register as a, not like, hey, lady, did it hurt when you shot out of heaven? Are you... (laughs) Did God cast you from paradise because of that ass? Like, didn't I don't know how that one really God, let me goes. Write that but you know, dad real quick. That's yeah, like a fall, you're a fallen angel. God cursed you to life on earth because you're an angel, baby. Or I don't, you know, whatever that one is. Um, but there's a uh, what the hell is it? It's like, yeah, I doubt. I, I don't think I've ever used a pickup line. I also don't think I've ever propositioned someone that i didn't already know to some degree Mm. with the exception of using like dating services and stuff like that where where the topic is kind of broached by mutual participation in the service you know it's like hey we're both here in a service that has like heart logo and whatever you know like <laughs> there's no there can be no delusions about why we're both here talking yeah. to a stranger oh i'm um, just passing through this plenty of fish app oh, really here. are you yeah <laughs> i came to tinder to find friends and you're like you're like go straight to hell you you don't get to waltz in here with your happy relationship being like i'm looking to expand my social circle or whatever um but uh uh i think 
the like in terms of strike in terms of the closest it comes to of like striking up a conversation um with a stranger i think the best the bet like it's it's very rich i guess when i was bartending and i would flirt with people when i was bartending mm. the best thing is always actually an honest question right like you know what I mean? Like, and a lot of times, like, a oh, conversation's yeah. already been started or something like that. But if you get the sensation that someone is flirting with you, I guess like the best thing as an icebreaker is always like an, an earnest question about the person, as dumb as like, "Hey, so what are you doing in town? Like, is your is this your first time in New York or anything like that?" I don't know. I think the the it's never the first line, right? It's like yeah. it's it's you're not. It's not. That's not what it's going to be. It's going to be the ensuing conversation. Um, so yeah, I've never, I don't think I've ever used a pickup line. I know that's the case because you never hear like grandparents telling tales of like, well, your father walked up to me in a pavilion and said, you know, do the, are those jeans watched in Windex? Cause I can see myself in your pants all night. And like, yeah, <laughs> it's never, that's never once worked. And then 80 years later, here we are still married. Like, yeah. Of course. I mean, like, listen, you can, and I'm not, I'm not suggest. look, you can flirt with a stranger and go home with them. It's just not going to be, be because of the first sentence that got said. That is a, that's a fantasy. That's, yeah. that's a, a Looney Tunes thing. Very good point. Uh, question 70. Have you ever had any good nicknames? Yeah, I, I have had some good nicknames. The The best ones that, that, uh, comes to mind um my nick i used to work as a camera pa on law and order criminal intent Uh-oh. camera department are some very typically masculine old school dudes this guy sean souza was the guy i was working for my buddy matt selkirk got me the job shout out to matt selkirk uh sean souza um was one of the i believe um either like the lead ac or the lead camera operator alan wolf i believe was the first first ac or first camera operator um bunch of these guys and you know they're this masculine dudes i remember one of my jobs was to go get beer and stock it in the camera truck in a mini fridge um uh and we were shooting in this place called broad channel which is a little island it's a place in new york city that is bizarre it's a it's an island in between rockaway peninsula and i think either brooklyn or queens but it's a tiny little island in the middle of the bay and the a train goes there so the a train goes over this long ass bridge like something out of spirited away comes to this tiny island which literally you i'm gonna i'm gonna give you the perfect description of this island okay you so you're from Jersey. You know, like the, those couple of towns that are like the Irish Riviera on Jersey, like Spring Lake and a couple other, you know, as like oh, yeah. near Asbury Park, places like that. Yeah. So, um, if Tim Burton had ten hours to redo Spring Lake, this would be Broad Channel. So you're like, oh, all this like kitschy, kind of like vaguely. Re- Republican beach art like everyone has a little tapestry of a lighthouse on their door and there's like you can tell all these like Irish families moved here but it's a little dilapidated and there's a weird overhang above the porch like the Wunsler lives upstairs it's like fucking weird 
So we're there in this haunted place and I have my a hat on. It's, it's the freezing dead February, ice cold. Uh, and I'm being driven by this dude who's this like older Russian, he has like a New York accent, but he's like a Russian, guy, Russian family. I think like Russian Orthodox background teamster driver i have my it's freezing cold i have camera batteries being to set and he's ferrying me back and forth and our batteries are dying like crazy because it's so cold right yeah. shooting outside on these docks wind whipping across the bay like sub it's almost like close to zero degrees Oof. fahrenheit i think we're driving and these two little kids dart across the street two super ginger little irish kids looked like twins in, a, in that kind of no I don't mean this about all twins, not all twins are creepy, but some twins are creepy and these two were creepy and they dart across the road and this teamster goes, Oh man, you know, this place, you know what the problem with this place is? And I was like, what? Like broad channel. He's like, yeah, this whole fucking neighborhood, this little Island down the middle of nowhere. You know what this problem is? Shanty Irish. They're all fucking inbred. They're all fucking Catholic. <laughs> They're fucking sick. They're a sick people. And I'm there like trying to pull my hat <laughs> over my bright red sideburns. And I was like, sir, I also hate the Irish. And you're right, too. They are uh, a bastard people. Um, uh, we get to set. And here's the thing, right? There's no such thing in the modern day uh, uh, of like, I have, there's no anti-Irish racism, really. It's a, it's like a joke. It's a, it's a historical anachronism from, you know, the 1800s. And it's like, but in any case, the dude's like naked prejudice, let's say, just left me a little rattled. It was so weird. It was so weird for him to share that. I didn't know this guy. Yeah. I look pretty visibly Irish, I think, but also like, it's fine, but also just like, why share? And what the hell, Shanty Irish? What the fuck? So, in any case, I'm a little visibly shaken. And Sean Souza and Alan Wolfer are both there, and they they're looking at me, and they go like, "Hey, man, are you, like, are you all right? Look, you look like you've seen a ghost." And I was like, "I'm okay." This teamster that was driving just said this shit that was like really upsetting, and I don't like, I, I don't know, I, like, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not like traumatized because again, this is not a real. There's no the Irish are not discriminated against in modern America, but it just yeah. was upsetting. It was just a little upsetting to hear, and they're like, oh, and literally, the guys like, fuck that Rusky, that fucking communist, that that red can go, you know, fuck him, fuck him, don't worry. And he's like, fucking fucking teamster, da, 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 don't worry about it, you're fine, right? Um, later that day, and here's where I went wrong. They were serving mashed potatoes that day. These mashed potatoes were so bomb. They were so tasty. They're, they had like the butter and they were fluffy and mm. it was clear they hadn't been made from a box, but they, but they were like whipped up and, you know, like good mashed potatoes, are like 50% butter, right? They're like yeah. so good. And you know, these are long days and you get these lunch breaks. And if you don't hit it on the lunch break, you're just going to be eating like, you know, like Welch's fruit snacks and shit. So like, you got to eat when it's time to eat. So I come to the table with half my plate is a mountain of mashed potatoes. A couple of eyes dart to my plate. Nobody says anything. They're gone, right? Yeah. The moment people get called for seconds, because you want to make sure everyone gets first. I'm already hovering around the back of the line. Come in with seconds 
another mountain of mashed potatoes. This time people make eye contact with each other. I clocked it on that second time, but I didn't, I was like, well, maybe it's fine, whatever. Um, uh, <laughs> I, wa- I went back for thirds. I didn't get a full mountain. I just wanted a little bit more. I got a normal portion size on my thirds. I sit down. At this point, I've, I, I've fucked up. I've done something <laughs> wrong. So I'm sitting there putting my thirds. My lunch is wrapping up and I hear a noise behind me. Um, and says, uh, uh, and there's a what? And a ladle full of mashed potatoes lands in the middle of my plate and splatters all over me. And Alan Wolf goes, "How you like fourths, you shanty Irish prick?" And everyone bursts into laughter. Oh my! Um, and from that day forward, I was Shanty. Uh, that was my nickname. Uh, sometimes, if I was egregiously fucking up on the job, that would get shortened to Sippy, which was Sip shanty irish prick shanty irish prick of course wow it was, i mean i'm sure those mashed potatoes were good i but... know i d- <laughs> <laughs> it was wrong to ask for that empathy and understanding from guys who only ball bust all day mm. like they, they kind of put themselves out there to kind of reach out to me and be like hey man you're all right like don't like don't don't worry about that guy he's an asshole and then for me to go and just, oh, I left out a big part of the story. On my thirds, I decided to start to, I felt like I needed to explain. So on my third, that oh, smaller no. portion, I did go, mmm, these potatoes are so good. <laughs> and that's what prompted, that's what prompted Alan to go get the ladle. I, I, I left them no recourse, really. They, they was only one. They were backed into a corner, really. <laughs> Oh my god. No this is a this is a teaching lesson to anyone listening. <laughs> That's all it is. If you're gonna yeah. ask for that kind of extension of empathy, don't immediately prove <laughs> the wildly prejudiced teamster right like 40 <laughs> minutes later. I'm over here like that guy hates the Irish. Mm, I fucking love these potatoes. Oh patee patee ta ti ta ta. You you was you were using a shillelagh also instead of a spoon. Using a shillelagh, goes... and then I talked about oh I need to go find my lucky charms. Yes. Oh, course, they also knew I had a lucky charm in my pocket. Yeah, oh, that didn't help anything. I'm it didn't sure. Help either. Yeah. Oh boy, <laughs> that's an amazing, amazing story. I love it. Uh, seventy-one. Do you believe in love at first sight? Um, no, I don't believe in love at first sight. I don't think I do. Um, I think that love at first sight is probably, um, I think it's possible to pick up vibes off of people. I think that, um, I think it's a numbers game, right? Because there are, there are billions of people in the world. Some of those people are going to see someone that they are immediately attracted to, that they are immediately almost like infatuated with, if they can like pick up a good vibe off of that person, that that person will reciprocate it to them and that they will start a relationship and then also discover that they are compatible. That's a lot of things going right, but over billions of example cases, that's going to happen a lot. 
So I think that people experiencing love at first sight is just people who got a good vibe right away, were attracted right away, became immediately infatuated, and it was smooth sailing and all the the stars lined up. Um, But I think it's very possible for people to see someone, feel the infatuation, and discover, oh, we're wildly not compatible. And I also think it's possible to see someone not immediately feel that infatuation vibe and then discover that this person is the love of your life. Um, so I think that, you know, love at first sight, I, I do not believe in love at first sight as like a miracle phenomenon. What I think it is, is like you weren't in love when that first thing happened, but you just never encountered an obstacle on your way <laughs> to that deep commitment and bond. Like, you know, it's like, oh man, in other words, just because you hit all green lights doesn't mean there weren't traffic lights. You know, see what I'm saying? Like, yes. you yes. know, like that's, that's would be my reaction to the idea of love at first sight. Excellently put. I think I agree with you. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, 72. What's a big turn off of yours? Uh, a big turnoff of mine, not specifically romantically, but like in general, just a thing that like Ex- shuts me off about people. Exactly. Um, um, cruelty of uh, cruelty is such a broad answer, but like when I say cruelty, I mean someone um, uh, needlessly causing distress or harm to someone from a position of knowing that that that's what they're going to be doing. It's one thing to do it in, unintentionally, but yeah. specifically, and I'm thinking too of the kind of thing where like. There are specific types of it too that really set me on edge. Um, someone belittling someone for like a gap in their knowledge or not knowing something. Mm. Uh, someone like someone like trying to make someone else feel small. Um, I've worked as a teacher for my entire life. N- n- even someone, even the smartest people in the in the world know a pitiful fraction of the sum total of human knowledge. Like, I don't think there's a human being on the planet that cracks 1% of all the different things there are to know, of all yeah. the added things together. So what the hell are you talking about if someone doesn't know something you know? Like, why Why are you so gleefully superior in that moment? Um, uh, anytime someone doesn't know something is an opportunity to, if you are lucky enough to know it, to uh, humbly and graciously share it with them if they are, uh, if it seems like they would appreciate that. If they wouldn't, then maybe fucking keep it to yourself. But in general, like, um, yeah, cruelty, superiority, um, uh, yeah, and I think too, just general, like, the are and I think also like the arbitrary decision to like not enjoy a portion of the I don't know how to put this but like people who like uh people who have strong reactions of their lack of interest in a thing being a failing of that thing like if your default like if your default as a person is oh I guess that's not for me then we're we're great we're simpatico but if your thing is oh I don't like that that thing's fucking up if that thing was doing what it should be doing then I should be liking it yeah. is sort of like you know it's like obviously you're allowed to have preferences and you're even allowed to strongly dislike things but I think it's that thing of of uh there's a certain type of person that really feels like the world should be catered to their taste 
Yeah. Uh, which, who boy. Not a fan. Not, yeah. a fan. not a fan. Not a fan. Yeah. Uh, 73, do you consider yourself an artist? I almost think it's more pretentious if I don't, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. Like, like the artist is such a loaded term, but if you're like, you know, it, it's it's this weird thing of of like, if you work in the arts, you're an artist, right? Like you're making art stuff. I guess it's not a term I would ever use for myself because I don't think it's it's express. It's way easier to say I'm a comedian or I'm a writer or I'm a performer mm. than it is to say I'm an art. But if you say I'm an artist, I'm going to imagine you painting paintings, or I'm going to imagine specifically. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm an artist. Like, oh, you do art. You do like fine art. Cool. Um, so I guess I would. Ne- yeah, that's an interesting thing. I guess, what's the exact wording of the question? Sorry, this is my literalist coming through. No, I love it. Do you consider yourself an artist? If the question was, would you call yourself an artist? I would say no. If it's, if we're doing a thing where it's like, put, create a category in your mind of all people who could be defined as artists, Mm -hmm. like in the broadest possible definition, then I and everyone like me are definitely in there. You work in the arts. Like entertainment is the arts. Yeah. Okay. So a soft yes, basically. Soft yes. Okay. Soft yes. Heavily qualified yes. (laughs) So many asterisks. You (laughs) gotta put the asterisks in there. Yeah. I love it. Uh, 74, what's something you tried to cook and failed? Oh, I made some really nasty chicken in my first post-college apartment. Hard to fuck up chicken, but I really did. (laughs) I really fucked it up. I tried to do like a chicken piccata and it was like, it was like a piece of, it was like, it was like if you pulled the sole off of a Nike sneaker and then just put some capers on it. It was bad, 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 bad. At least you had the capers. I mean, you tried, but... We tried. We reached for the stars and we fell short, gang. There you go. Uh, 75, dubbed the Ben Hansen after the uh, very first guest of this year podcast. Incredible. What's the greatest piece of art ever made? <laughs> the most like... hyperbolic question The ever. greatest piece of art ever made! Um... Greatest piece of art ever made. I feel like the greatest piece of art ever made would have to be something that's like enjoyable to some of my utilitarian things getting here. It has to be something that's like enjoyable to the largest amount of people, mm-hmm. which means it has to. It, I think that things like, like in, in a weird way, like plays and theater are, are only ever exposed to such a small population. Um, the greatest piece of art ever made. This is obviously such a hyperbolic question that it's pointless to try to answer. You should just say something. It's fucking the big boy from Big Boy's Diner. That's the, you know, like, what do you want me Not to say? All. Checks every uh, box. <laughs> uh, checks every box. Uh, you know what my dad's favorite work of art is? I'm going to say this, because I actually think, even though people can't all see the original, everyone has seen it recreated. Uh, Van Gogh's Starry Night. I think that's hmm. so beautiful. I love that. Um, I really, really love it. Um, and it's very shareable. And the nice thing about, you know, even things like a movie, a movie has to be translated and people have to access to something that can screen it. Like, I almost wanted to say The Wizard of Oz for a second, but um, I, 
I think Van Gogh's Starry Night is maybe the, I, I love that so much. I think it's incredible. It's gorgeous. It's withheld through so much time. I mean, it's tough to argue. Yeah. Uh, 76. Have you ever had something happen to you that you would consider paranormal? Yeah. Oh, yeah. boy. Yeah, I have. Um, well, here's the thing. Strict definition. I have had something that bore all of the experiential details of a paranormal event. I don't believe it was paranormal. Um, so if you're asking me, do you think a paranormal event really happened to you? The answer is no. But yeah, I've had, st- I've had something happen to me that checks all the boxes. Um, uh, I feel like I'm running through. I promise I'm not like, I don't have an infinite amount of these stories. <laughs> But we are hitting weirdly a lot of the stories in my life that are. Um, it's, the, it's the magic of the questions. <laughs> it really is. Um, it was in a very. I'll, I'm going to tell the abridged version of this too because I also know that we we are we are we're going for the record right now. Um, James, watch out. <laughs> um, it was in a very hard time in my life. Um, this was in a period of time shortly after a very important figure in my life had passed away. Um, my philosophy professor, uh, Professor Tom Davis, uh, when I was at SUNY Elster, um, there is not enough time on any podcast in the world to enumerate and describe all of the incredible virtues of this wonderful man, nor indeed all the ways that he uplifted, impacted, and bettered my life and the lives of many of my friends, my brother, uh, my friend Miranda, um, a ton of people. And, and it was every, it was unanimous. Like he was such a beloved professor. Everyone that took his classes was changed and bettered for it. He, took philosophy, which in, you know, in the worst cases, philosophy as an, as an academic study is just sort of like a niche area of history. It's just like talking about these guys who were alive. He taught philosophy as a living thing, as a practice, as a, a pillar and structure of the human project. And, um, described him he he was a wonderful old man he looked he looked a little bit like disney's merlin uh except he was he was uh balding on top with white hair around um and uh, his beard wasn't long but he did have a beard it just wasn't all the way down to his waist um but he looked he, otherwise he looked a lot like merlin um i have a little photo of him and a little poem from his funeral up here um oh. wonderful wonderful man um he passed away of uh heart attack um in 2008 um and it's really rough because me and a lot of other people like me had these visions of like going out in the world and accomplishing great things and him being the kind of guy you could go back to and say Hey, teach like the stuff you gave me. I went out there and I did it. Aren't aren't you proud? Um, and at the time he passed away, I hadn't. I was a struggling, broke bartender who felt a million miles away from anything 
anything like a great accomplishment. And it's also messed up because why, why would my wonderful wise philosophy professor have cared about great accomplishments? It wasn't, that wasn't what he valued. He cared about you being a good person, about you being curious, about you pursuing wisdom and knowledge and, and understanding. Um, but there was still that part of me that was very young and thought of those things and he passed away. And it was this horrifying moment where I hadn't spoken to him in years. Um, talk about, now that's talk about a regret of someone that I, uh, don't talk to anymore. Mm. Um, that's, that's the one. Um, and, and probably if I had known at the time, I, I later came to regret how little I had reached out to him in those intervening years. During a very dark period of my life, shortly thereafter, I was walking down the street, was walking by St. Malachi's Chapel on 49th Street, little Catholic chapel. I'm not Catholic and I wasn't raised Catholic, but all of my extended family is Catholic. So I've, and there's, there's so much cultural osmosis of Catholicism from that. Um, and being at your wits end and truly deeply sad um, in midtown Manhattan is a fucking bummer, right? Yeah. Uh, not ideal. <laughs> so I saw this little Catholic chapel and I walked into it not because I, I was having a you know road to Damascus moment, but because I was lost, because I know that those places are calm and soothing, and it's rare to find a place like that that you can just walk into in the middle of midtown Manhattan. And I thought I would just walk into a pew, and there would, it would smell like incense, and and it would be quiet. And I was like kind of crying on the street, and was just like, I'm gonna go in there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go in and like try to figure this out sit down in one of the pews there's there's um there's not a service happening but there are people in the pews that are just sort of there praying i'm there i'm i'm not like sobbing but i am crying and in my head i'm like i've come to this religious sanctuary and perhaps someone will see me in my moment of need and reach out. Most of the people looked at me and moved away from me. And they were like, who the fuck <laughs> is this guy? These are like people that are stopping in church real quick on their way home or whatever. You know, it's just like, yeah, eh, no. Um, so I'm sitting there feeling very, very low. Um, and I look up a couple pews ahead of me. And I see someone who from the back of their head and the back of their shoulders looks familiar to me. Um, and I'm staring at them like I recognize this person. Uh, and the figure turns around to look at me and it's Tom Davis. And uh, I, my eyes go wide. This is months after he's passed away. He smiles, winks at me puts a finger over his lips in a kind of shush motion, stands up, uh, a pair of brown angel wings spreads from his back and he moves up through the ceiling and is gone. I have never done a drug in my life. I have never had a drink in my life, but this was during a period of my life where I was often missing nights of sleep. I was often staying awake for days or if I was sleeping, I was only sleeping for two or three hours a night. Um, in the moment that he, that I saw this vision, um, I immediately stopped crying. All nervousness and anxiety and dread left my body. 
And I was filled with an overwhelming certainty that everything was going to be all right. Um, uh, Now, how do I square that with being a stone cold atheist and being a full skeptic non-believer? So here's the, so here's the, how I, how I describe this, because people that are very spiritual will hear this story and hear that I did not immediately like convert on the spot <laughs> and they will like rend their hair from their head and gnash their teeth and like, you got a vision. Why didn't you? And I was like, first of all, the next week I hallucinated just normal. Like I stayed up for three days in a row and had a full hallucination. Yes. That hallucination didn't like fix my heart or whatever, but what is the way I explain it to people when I talk about it is there's kind of two options that I can narrow this down to, right? In terms of what what the hell was that? Yeah. Right. What the hell was that number one? There was a man who during his life was so powerfully good. And his effect on all the people around him, so universally positive, that in a moment of incredible distress, my mind used him as the most powerful symbol of a message that I needed to hear, that everything's going to be okay, and that you're going to be all right. Um, That to me is more beautiful than any other version of things, right? That his life was so good that he's the symbol I use for that type of healing, right? Um, The second option that that I think people want, the other people who aren't me want, is when you die, you are conscripted into an army of winged men (laughs) and go to earth to solve problems, not problems like the war on drugs or human trafficking, but like if some white kid is sad in Midtown Manhattan. That second option where these things are literal doesn't work for me. I think... I don't know how to follow that up because that is so powerful. Um, but yeah, I, I I hear what you're saying. I agree that it is paranormal by the definition of the word because it is out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, maybe not a a, a seraphim on high <laughs> visited you that day, but who knows? But who knows? Hey, you know, I, the, the, it's very, yeah, I've told that I had had a story a lot. And I know that there are people that I, there are people I love dearly in my life who truly believe in the supernatural, whether, whether it's something like Roman Catholicism or whether it's uh, even something as like, you know, people who believe in, in things that they don't even think of as supernatural, like the law of attraction or like karma or, or, um, 
well, of course, karma is part of Hinduism, but a lot of white people have appropriated karma and Correct. use it without <laughs> any regard to the rest of Hinduism. Obviously, that's a part of a very large, incredible, beautiful spiritual tradition. But a lot of white people out here being like, karma's going to get you. Um, a lot of a lot of people in a lot of people I know back from back in New York um, or like astrology or other things like that that are that are supernatural. I have a lot of friends who believe in that. and I love them very dearly. But um I can't get there. I can't yeah. get there. Um, I because because it does mean stuff like that. Because there are there are parts of it that are that thing of like, like oh my god, like like imagine like I can't imagine trying to believe with my whole heart of like a miracle happened. I was kind of bummed out, and then I wasn't bummed out anymore. And that's what God is flexing on these days. That's that's where the big man is sending the juice is getting me feeling a little better. Yeah. And and other shit prioritizing it i don't yeah i and i don't know how anyone can look at that and not have the same problem that i have i know they do and i love and respect them i have people in my life that do but i don't know how to get there i don't know how to get there yeah i i think that is incredibly powerful from i think both ways of looking at it and uh an incredibly moving story uh amazing truly amazing thanks man uh what a come down to 77 would you ever use a ouija board (laughs) (laughs) what a what an oh yeah Ouija. uh, so if i fucked up ouija boards are 100 percent real that i do believe in yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) uh you gotta be ouijaing my guy you gotta be ouijaing uh whatever he's sure fine yeah whatever Fuck it. I'll use a Ouija board. Yeah. It's a piece of cardboard. I love people that get hype about Ouija boards. What's the company that makes Ouija boards? The fucking... I think it's Hasbro or Mattel or one of those big ones, right? Yeah. Parker Brothers, uh, maybe? History. Uh, uh, like, it descends from other shit, but the current version is owned by, like, a board game company, right? Yeah. Like. So it's the the idea the idea that these occult instruments are getting stamped out in some factory somewhere and shipped out and you're like this is the real fucking deal and you're like it says Parker Brothers on the side or Hasbro or whatever <laughs> like no it's no it's not in a hundred years there's gonna be haunted boppets that <laughs> people yeah exactly like oh my god Grandpa wants us to bop it it's like no <laughs> no he's no. asking me to twist it now. <laughs> uh question 78 simply why uh uh my response to this question that you've phrased is um that's our job to do that there it's not it's not out there um what is out there where is out there when is out there um why is not out there um Hmm. why of those w's why is the one that is fully artificial baby that's the one that we made up um uh because it addresses something that all evidence suggests only exists right now on this one planet in the universe the why of things why is a question of intention and of cause um and uh 
you know, like, I think that you can spin things out. Like, you can ask, like, why did that, if, if the why means physical causation, if the why means natural causation, and it's really almost like more of a how question, like, how did this happen? What were the things that went into that? But the why meaning like intention, significance, meaning, and purpose, not out there only in our brains. Uh, so, but that doesn't make it not real. Our brains are part of the universe that yeah. exists, but don't kid yourself. You're not going to like go to Alpha Centauri and dig a ditch and find the why of the universe <laughs> there. It's just going to be a call you make on earth with your mind. I knew I was going to get a good answer out of you. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> Such an esoteric question. I knew I was going to get a good one. <laughs> 79 if given the chance when would you time travel to it's so interesting because with the butterfly effect if you go back in time to try to change the past to prevent bad things from happening you're almost always going to be better served by just going further back in time and preventing a previous horror because in preventing that hor horror you probably will totally change the circumstances through butterfly effect of whatever future like you know what i mean like like the oh, idea yeah. of like would you you know like like do you stop 9-11 or do you stop hitler it's like well if i stop hitler how the hell does 9-11 still happen like the dominoes don't fall in a different in a pretty significantly different way like yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so you're almost always better off going back to a farther and more distant time in the past. Like go back to the fucking burning of the library of Alexandria and stop it there. But of course the issue is um, what events in the past of the world could you do to mitigate the most harm mm. given that you're just going back as an individual human? Like I could go back and become God emperor by bringing like, I don't know, one ak-47 and a lighter <laughs> but like it doesn't okay i'm god emperor now how do i achieve human enlightenment and and peace and brotherhood and, uh, everyone be nicer or i'll what you know like <laughs> yeah everyone be nice back here in the past um i don't know how you do a it. lot of finger wagging a lot and... of finger wagging <laughs> i listen i'm from the future you guys and your descendants uh, fuck up a lot and it's bad and I'm here to and I'm here from the future to say please knock it off or I'll kill all of you I'll what do I do how do I what do I what leverage do I use I go yeah. back in the future with with my AK-47 and my knowledge of you know maybe I read up on how cell towers work so I can go back and introduce <laughs> like I come back with penicillin cool i have penicillin and i'm like i'm the guy hey i'm from the future i'm the god emperor first of all i have to learn middle english or whatever i have to learn whatever language is speaking back there and then what some like you know bishop doesn't get someone to come poison me in the middle of the night and steal my future weapon probably they're gonna do that probably gonna do the bishop i don't know how to strong arm the whole past <laughs> um maybe honestly maybe the thing i do is like travel to the future and see what the worst things are for us to try to avoid. Yeah. Maybe that's the thing I do. Yeah. I think I agree with you. Because if season five of Lost taught me anything, it's going back to the past will only cause further harm. No spoilers, but still. Uh, but yeah, going to the future and just seeing 
kind of seeing the roadmap and going, well, maybe maybe I have enough info now to at least cause a deviation in this roadmap. Yeah, I but think it's, that's it's the way to go. It's interesting because basically it's a question of if I go to the past, I'm a stranger in the past with no family, no history, no. But if I go to the future and come back here, I am at least a. I am native to this moment in time and my attempts to change it will come with the perspective of a person from the global community that existed in the time I'm from. So maybe there's something to that, but then, but I also don't want to do the thing of like, well, if you're allowed to save the present from the future, why isn't the past allowed to benefit with you being from their future? And it's sort of just like, cause I'd be some bozo. They don't know who I am. Um, So who knows? There you go. I like it. Uh, question 80. Have you ever made a sudden dramatic change to your lifestyle and stuck to it? Um, yes. I think, I think several times I have, I think I've done, I used to be very bad with sleep and now I'm, and I, at a certain point I just got better and I said, I'm going to get sleep. I'm not going to, I'm not going to glorify staying up all night. Um, got better about, Working out, I didn't exercise for a long, long time, and I started working out. My good friend Lou Wilson and I are workout buddies, and that's been really wonderful. Um, uh, I th- I think that I I actually do enjoy I do enjoy the the feeling of like okay we're we're gonna make a change now we're gonna do something different. Um, I had a friend of mine I remember back when I was living at Gold Street in my apartment there who. Um, had confided in me that his bed had been in the loft and he'd wanted it to be on the floor for months. And he's like, I've, I've just never gotten around to it. And I remember springing from the couch, grabbing his mattress and hurling it onto the floor. I mean, like, it's done. So I think actually in, in a weird way, like um, I feel like I'm, this is a, a, this is horribly unrelatable content given the, the, the meme within millennial culture of like, I just can't even. Most of the time I can even. I've been very fortunate to have a, uh, to have like initiative and and the ability to like, we're going to do this now, yeah. um, which I'm very, very grateful for. It's, it's, it seems small, but that's a huge thing. Really. Yeah, for sure. Uh, 81, what game show, past or present, would you love to be a contestant on? Well, you know, I was on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, right? Oh, were you really? I was on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Yes, yes, yes. I tried out for that when they had New York auditions. And... Oh, City, I'm sorry. I did not make it on. I got close to Wheel of Fortune, but neither one rung true. How did you do on Millionaire? That's fantastic. Uh, I got to 50K. Um, uh, I got to 50K. Life-changing. I mean, it, it changed my life. It allowed me to move to Los Angeles. It allowed me to... to um, get out of a lot of debt. Um, it was a huge, huge deal. Uh, who wants to be a millionaire? It was a huge deal. Uh, I would probably say, <laughs> who wants to be a millionaire again? <laughs> Let's do um, it again. I mean, just the payout structure of it is, it's, you know, like, I'm trying to think of shows that you can make that much money on. And there's, I feel like there's not a ton. Maybe there's a lot. I don't know. Um, there's a lot that do like that amount, but in prizes. And it's like, uh, taxes and like it's just less interesting to me yeah for sure for sure um now this is how much of a, a, a game show nerd i am just the fact that you said fifty thousand, 
makes me know it was post after they changed it from 32,000 and 64,000 to 25 and 50. So I'm guessing Meredith Vieira? Chris Harrison from The Chris Bachelor. Harrison. Actually. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I will also say if they ever, I will say the, the actual answer to this question, if they ever do an Arctic season of Survivor, that's me, baby. Ooh. I just can't be in the sun. But if you give me a misty bog to do Survivor in, I'm there. <laughs> that would be an intriguing season. I like that's what that. I want. Probst will never do it. Probst, you're a coward. Let me do it in the snow. Get out of here. Put some long pants on, probes, for God's sakes. <laughs> uh, 82. What's a quote that you love? So many. The, the doors of my bedroom are covered in quotes that I love. And I have huge, huge reams of quotes in like documents and stuff on my computer. I love them. Um, I might want to say, you know what? I'm going to do it. It's, it's, um, yes, this is a quote that I love. Uh, it's a lyric from Hey Jude. I think it's the smartest lyric in the world, right? And I honestly do, there's a lot of like poetry and stuff like that that I feel like, like songs, songs and poetry are different. Like there's different between the idea of like, using words just to their own music versus using words in concert with instrumental music. But um, uh, Paul McCartney, Hey Jude, the line, I remember being a teenager and this knocking me out. Um, And my dad was a huge Beatles fan and he got me to listen to the Beatles all the time. And I'd heard the song a million times, but it was just the first time really listening to it. Uh, For well, you know that it's a fool who plays it cool by making his world a little colder. Um, a very critical message for a teenager to hear because for me, that was an invitation. You know, I got bullied a lot as a kid and I've never been cool. It's such a bizarre thing to um, talking. We're talking about millennial shit. Uh, We were talking about millennial stuff a moment ago. And I remember seeing all these memes now where there are like millennial, you know, almost exclusively white women, but millennial white women just absolutely going grape ape because Gen Z kids are calling them uncool. And it's so funny to me because, you know, solidarity with Gen Z, you know, who really didn't think I was cool either? Millennials. Millennials didn't (laughs) think I was cool. No one's ever thought I was cool. Um, Because when I was a kid, I went like, this is a bad way to live to aspire to this. And it's so funny because I love cool people. Like we were talking about Tony Bourdain, who I love with all my heart, yeah. but there's a certain, there's a certain thing about you, the, the attempt at coolness trying for some people like Anthony Bourdain just are cool and congrats to them. What an incredible lottery draw that is. But if you're not cool attempting it, Oh God, yeah. what could be a, a a deeper pit of hell than to struggle to be cool. Um, And I just went like that, that way lies death. And everything I've ever done in my life has been um, with complete disregard towards coolness, all of my interests, everything. And it's been wild to watch like now the world likes D and D and nerd shit is pop culture. And I'm a professional dungeon master and it's little Gen Z TikTok kids 
do quotes of mine from college humor. And I just go like, this is so funny. It's so funny because I've been struck. I did. I didn't I gave this up like at age 13. I was like, this is not for me. Like there's nothing that the, I just remember that thing of like, for, well, you know, that's a fool plays it cool, but makes the world a little colder. And I, it's applicable to life, to, to like love and being like, oh, if you try to act cool and you try to be tough and you try to put your guard up against the, the bad things that are coming. And I've, I, think, I think that's like a deep foundational principle across the board. Don't put your guard up. And it's almost like, don't flinch. You get two for flinching. Like, don't freeze up and put a wall up to try and stave off pain. It won't work. It will make you suck as a person and it will just hurt more. Just play the D&D, let people make fun of you, love the things you love unashamedly and unabashedly and move on with your life. Uh, so yeah, that's my favorite. Uh, for well, you know that it's a fool who plays it cool by making his world a little colder. I'm, I'm, that Paul McCartney guy, I think he uh, might be up to something. Keep <laughs> your eyes on him, man, because... <laughs> Hot new stars on the rise. One of the oh, hot new stars. <laughs> on the cover of Tiger Beat. Um, 83. What's the best shirt that you own? I swear to God, you're hitting these stories left and right. It's crazy. <laughs> I'm, I can't, I can't do I can't do another full story. I can't. Okay. The best shirt I own is a shirt that has the bat. It's a black shirt with a white Batman logo. Nice. With, and the bat is, of course, in black, so it's the white and then the bat in sort of gestalt space. Within the black, black bat, in white block lettering, it says Tony Pepperoni. And this is a staff shirt from a pizzeria in Henrietta, New York, that I went to after getting in a 85-mile-an-hour car accident on the interstate on my way to the toronto comics arts festival gravy okay wow there's a long involved story about the crash and how we got out i have a vendetta with pepperidge farm cookies they still owe me a box of mint milanos based on some of the events that unfolded in the car crash um we got towed turns out the tow truck driver guy was a big fan of comic book stuff so we gave him some comic books for him to let us illegally steal our comics out of the back of the totaled car. I went to Enterprise to rent a car with, you know, a bunch of shrapnel in my arm. And, um, oh yeah, the car fully flipped. We Roof, windshield shattered, gravel coming up through the windshield. Um, uh, And we went in and they had the staff shirt and it's just the most surreal thing I've ever seen. My wonderful friend Molly Ostertag bought me this shirt. It's one of my most prized possessions. I love it so much. And I love it because they were all wearing it. And I went up to this dude, big Italian guy, like bulldog looking, like had that red hot skin, red from working in the pizza place. You're sweating, thick neck, big, tough guy owning this pizza place, like steel gray hair. And I walked up and I was like, sir, I love your pizzeria. An excellent pizza can I ask what's the connection between Batman and Tony Pepperoni? Who's like, you you have like a mascot here. Who's not Batman. It's a little pepperoni guy in a cowboy hat. And what's the, what's the connection? Um, And he looked at me like I had spit in his eye. I thought he was going to hit me. And he went, I like Batman. And that was it. (laughs) 
That's the whole explanation. Let me be clear. These shirts are illegal. This is a trademark issue. They are selling shirts with the Batman logo. This is Tony Pepperoni. Also incredible to have a staff shirt for a pizzeria. One of the only features a staff shirt needs is usually the name, address, and phone number of the establishment. Shirt, son's context, devoid. Not a phone number on the back, nothing on the back. Just the bat symbol and the name Tony Pepperoni. People look at it and it's and it's like it's like triggers them on an acid trip. Like, what am I looking at? Why? Who is Tony Pepperoni? <laughs> Why is his name wrong. Tony Pepperoni isn't even the name of the pizzeria. It's the name of the mascot of the pizzeria. I think that it's a, it's a <laughs> dual thing where it's like this is Tony Pepperoni and this is Tony Pepperoni. Uh... Tony Pepperoni is the mascot for Tony Pepperoni, but Batman also. Because also, like well, he likes Batman. Of course. Also, he likes Batman, of course. Uh, love that it. is a gem of a shirt. Wow. Uh, 84, would you change your middle name? Nope. My middle name is my mom's last name. And I'm one of those weird people that uses all three of my names professionally. Oh. People think I have like a hyphenate last name, but it really is. Brennan Lee Mulligan is first, middle, last. Oh. Um my mom and dad and my mom my dad my stepfather all my parents are uh beautiful wonderful people who get amicable with all of them and everyone's also amicable with each other like everyone gets along now big hippie family with like marriages and remarriages and all that good stuff and um but uh there's a period of time where where um you know my mom was raising me by herself for a little bit and then um uh got remarried and i got new stepbrothers and it was awesome but my mom was such a huge figure in my life and my dad was on the road doing comedy so much uh and when i figured when i was like five or six years old and realized that lee was my mom's last name um i started including it in all my school stuff because i thought it was disrespectful to my mom to not include her name oh wow that's that's phenomenal what a what a kind gesture from a kid like yeah amazing uh 85 what's a good impression you can do oh shit what is a good impression i can do i was just doing bernie sanders earlier me and izzy were doing bernie sanders back and forth at each other uh, which is very funny and sweet um let me see if i can just because that's the first one that popped up in my head Look, the one percent of the one percent at the top one percent of the economy, okay, own eighty percent of a hundred percent of all the wealth in this country. <laughs> when working people bond together to fight these money interests, I know that we could come out on top. But until that day, we need to organize, unionize, democratize, move together to stop these problems from happening. That's yeah, my vote. You got my hey, <laughs> I love him. I love him with all my heart, Bernie. I love you. Oh, uh, he's such a great guy. Seems like such a great guy. Uh, I, if anyone knows Bernie Sanders, send him my email. See if I can get him on the show. <laughs> uh, uh, and wonderful impression. Uh, Thank you. 86. Is there a tattoo you wanted to get but are glad you didn't get? Yes. Yes. Ooh. Yes. I've like wanted to get tattoos for a long time, but I've never ultimately gotten them. It's, it's for me, it's fun for it just to be like a little dream. It's like, mm, a little dream of tattoos. That's fun. Um, I don't actually need them on my body to just have fun thinking about them. Um, 
uh, I wanted to get a tattoo for a little while. Um, one tattoo was an inside joke that was a royal flush of playing cards with the words Meccano shuffle under them, which is a really dumb inside joke that is many years past. It's like heyday now. The Meccano shuffle was an improvised bit from a D&D game back when I was a teenager that is when the heroes of a story, usually like a kind of heisty, like criminal, like the good guy, like Robin Hood, kind of like outlaw heroes. Yeah. When the outlaw heroes have so many different factions of bad guys pursuing them, the Meccano shuffle is when you are so fucked that you lure all of the factions and agencies chasing you to one location so that they duke it out with each other over who gets to get you and you drop out through the shadows during that ensuing fracas. So that's a tattoo that I wanted to get and did not end up getting. <laughs> I would love for you to get that because because you would have to explain that every time. <laughs> Not not necessary. You know what? It's good. It's fine. It's a little fun dream. It's a little fun dream. That's, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> uh, 87. How would you describe your 16-year-old self? Oh, I have a hard time with this. I never want to be mean to my younger self. I try to be so nice to, like, kids and young people. But when I think of my younger self, I'm often so... Um, scornful is not the right word but i want to go like why were you like that why were you not better than that um for this to make sense i think it's important to remember i was very badly bullied when i was a little kid then i went into homeschooling and made peace with being a weirdo up through the age of 14 i really thought i was going to be writing novels in the woods and my brother would come and visit me and that would be all the friends I had. I was like running D&D games for people. I had friends, but I didn't f- feel, for some reason, like because D&D was always such a big part of the mix, I didn't feel like in a clique in a weird way. I felt like, well, my best friend's my brother and I had his other friends, but I'm not popular. I'm homeschooled. I'm a freak, right? And then around 15 is when like, stuff really kicked off at like summer camp i like got my first girlfriend started this summer camp thing with griffin that we got hired by the larger summer camp got shares i was like an early staff member by the time i was 16 i had hit a lot of teenage milestones in a weird way i was going to i started going to college when i was 14 by the way so like at 16 i was like taking college classes I had, uh, people already know this because I've said it out loud on a game show for Dropout, but lost my V-card, was a full staff member, had shares in a for-profit company and had a tremendous amount of like status at this very young age. And also had like started this business with my brother that was doing well. And like, even though I was a weirdo homeschooling taking college classes, I, with this summer camp community, I suddenly was like, oh, I have like, like my vision of myself was wrong. So I think 16 year old me was to describe him was annoying. It was an annoying kid. I like, because I, I was, I had all this chip on my shoulder shit from thinking I was going to be a weird hermit in the woods and suddenly being like, actually 
dude. People think you're funny and they, and they like the fantasy games you write and they want to listen to what you have to say. And you should, and, and like having all this status, which is probably unhealthy. I think having all, it, it really separated me and my brother, I think didn't separate us from our peers, but there was everyone who was our age was still like a staff in training or sometimes even like a camper while we had shares in the company and we're having meetings with all these like 20 something year olds. And I think that I think it was very big for my britches, man. I think that I had a lot of ego. And even though I wasn't necessarily an asshole with that ego, it's not like ego is, even if you're being kind, it's not like having that big of an opinion of yourself is a good thing, even if you're being, generally speaking, amiable. Mm. Um, So yeah, I think I was annoying when I was 16. I gotcha, I gotcha. But I think it's it's also the fact that you're even cognizant of that says a lot. Because I I think if people look back at a a very arrogant sixteen ver- sixty year, year old version of themselves and go, yeah, that guy ruled. I think <laughs> I think that says a lot to where their you know where their head is at in a lot of ways. So totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, again, that's very broadly speaking, obviously, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, 88 what maybe a part of a story we just heard what's the worst injury you've ever had worst injury i've ever had oh worst injury worst injury had intense medical stuff the worst injury is probably I was running, this is, this is, this is going to a dark place. So heads up. Um, I had a romantic partner at a time in my life who had a substance abuse problem and the partner ducked out of our apartment where we were cohabitating at that time um, to go and get illicit substances. Um, I was sprinting after them because I was a 21 year old. This was someone who was many years older than me. Um, uh, who had, uh, and I was, I was badly in need of some Al-Anon. I was like, I can physically restrain the addict from getting the drugs. That's a winning strategy. Let's do that. Um, And I sprang down the stairs and sprang a little too hard and hit the bottom of the staircase above me with the top of my head, split the top of my head open, um, tumbled down the steps. uh, And my brother and my close friend, Jack, um, carried me uh, to the hospital. Couldn't call an ambulance because none of us had insurance and we didn't have enough money. It would have ruined me to call an ambulance. Um, And uh, we were a couple blocks away from the hospital. So I was kind of, I was walking, but I was like, had had my arm, I was in the middle, had my arms over their shoulders. They're walking me kind of like the thing you, I feel like you only see in movies, but they're, they're walking me down. I have blood streaking down my face and uh, I got out to the street and anytime I am in, in shock or trauma of any kind, like, like right after that car crash I talked about, um, I uh, started laughing almost right away. Walking out of the, doors 
I sort of joke, I started laughing to myself and I, because the street was very full of people and some people were turning to look and see me. And I went like, is there a doctor in the house? I was like, yelled it out, kind of trying to be funny. And the most beautiful man I've ever seen in my life, this dude was jacked to hell. He looked like, I don't know, he looks Mediterranean, like Italian or Greek or something and huge rippling pecs. It's like three buttons up. And he was on a date with this beautiful woman the curly locks looked up he was right on the block with us it turned around to see me say that and he went i'm a doctor and <laughs> and i went really and he's like yeah and i was like doc can you please look at this i'm so broke please tell me i don't have to go to the hospital can i just kind of i can feel a flap of skin open i don't think my skull's broken can I just sort of move this back over and we call it, we call it a day. And he, to his credit, he looked over and he's like, Hey man, I'm not going to touch it, but bend over. And I bent over and he looked at it and he was like, Oh yeah, you're going to need two, maybe three staples. Um, and uh, uh, diagnosed me on the street. He's like, gotta go to the hospital, man. Um, and I was like, really? And he's like, I know it sucks. You got to go to the ER right away. They got to staple that up. He's like, he's like, if you're not going in an ambulance, the procedure won't be, that expensive he's like just don't um he's like he's like they might give you some other medicines you won't need anything other than this this or like these two things so don't take any other shit that they're going to offer you and he's like and you know he's like you have to go get the staples taken out so maybe maybe you can plan for that um and i was like doc you're the best good luck on your date i hope that guy had a great rest of his evening because he pulled the slickest move i've ever seen it's like gorgeous physically jacked dude who's like i'm a doctor on the date he's on very very funny we laughed about that the whole rest of the night went to the er anesthetized my head got some staples in there and he was right they need to take him out but my cousin justine who's a nurse shout out justine who's also in she was an icu nurse in the bronx during the height of covid there Oof. she's a hero wonderful i'm lucky i have a lot of cousins that do medical all my cousins slap shout out to the mulligans uh and to to the ashmans and to all the wonderful cousins out there um uh but um, a month later, I just went to Justine's apartment and she took a sample remover and just plucked him out of my head on her sofa. Um, for free, baby. That's free 99. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, just, I, I know you're not making these stories up, but <gasps> there's so many of them. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I know I, these questions where I feel like we're moving at a glacial pace because I keep, they, I, you really do keep... I'm trying to give even like the expedited versions of these stories. I, it, yeah. I'm on the edge of my seat. I don't want the expedited versions of any of these. <laughs> <laughs> these are amazing. Oh, thank uh, you so much. I thought James Earl Jones was going to come out of that one somehow. <laughs> There's no telling. There's <laughs> no telling. Uh, where are we at? 89. What's a habit of yours you want to break? Um, I drink a lot of coffee. It obviously doesn't bother me too much or I would stop, but it's also, I think I have a bad thing where because I don't drink and I've never done drugs and I try to stay pretty healthy and I get sleep these days, I kind of am like, hey, anything I do, look how much I'm getting right. Anything I do that's shitty, I have some credit stored up, which is not how doing the right thing works, (laughs) but- your monkey brain doesn't feel that way. Your monkey brain is like, that's absolutely how doing the right thing works. You're building up credit to spend later on doing bad things. Um, so, um, oh, you know what I, I do that is a real habit that I really can't stop and I'm doing it literally right now. I fidget 
with things in my fingers. I absentmindedly pick up Izzy's hair clips all the time. She's, she hates it. Um, it's really bugged by it. Um, but I do have this, this thing of like, uh, it really calms me down and helps me think when I'm like twiddling with something in my hands. Yeah. I, I've, I have the exact same thing with a nail clipper because it's so conveniently like spinny and clickable and it's just, it scratches a lot of itches and I'm trying mm-hmm. actively not to do it because I sometimes hear it pick up on the microphone and I'm trying to you. stop doing that. <laughs> uh, all right. Home stretch time. Question 90. Have you ever lied on your resume? Oh God. Yes. If you're not lying on your resume, you got to snap out of it. What the hell are you doing? What the hell are you doing? You don't lie on your resume. First of all, what the hell is a lie, right? Like I will say if there are people out there who are genuinely like, I won't fudge any like special skills and they won't put horseback riding. Cause they're like, well, I horseback rode in the summers, but I'm hardly a professional equestrian. You're like, you go, what the fuck put horseback riding. What's the matter with you? You did it. Right. Um, uh, no, you gotta, you gotta, because the thing is this, the, if something actually matters on the resume, they're going to have ways of proving it that are not resume related. Like in terms of like, like you shouldn't lie on the resume if you're a doctor, but like they're, they're not, it's probably not just the resume they're looking at. You know what I mean? There's other qualifying shit that happens there. And, um, for like restaurant work look the 90 percent of jobs out there it's criminal these fucking unpaid internships that are doing jobs these corporations that are extracting every piece of labor out of people the the idea that you would would comport yourself to better the company who why this company's not going to pat you on the back. This company is a bank account accessible by a privileged few and a sheet of paper in a filing cabinet in Delaware. Don't be nice to the company. Um, you gotta like, and especially because so many places, I know this is true in like rest. I'm also from a place I haven't worked in the restaurant industry. I've worked as a waiter for a little bit. I work in catering. I work as a bartender. And in that one, it's like, we will only hire you if you have a hundred years experience. And you're like, great. I'm 20. So, so unless I had access to some kind of groundhog day situation, you're not getting that years of experience. So you, you have to lie. I have so many friends who are, are so, they've been like, well, I can't lie on resume. And I was like, put my phone number. I'm going to go into Google. I'm going to make two other Google forwarding numbers. I'm going to be all three of your references. Mm-hmm. You've worked, you worked at Buckingham palace for 20 years, put it <laughs> down there. Like, the, like fucking the Blarney Stone doesn't need the thing they're asking for. Lie yeah. to them. It's rude that they're asking for the amount of experience they're asking for. They deserve to be deceived by you. Um, so that's how I feel about lying on your resume. It's a passionate answer. Do it. I love it. I love it. Uh, question 91. Have you ever punched someone in the face? Yes, I have. Oh. I can't believe how many stories you're hitting. This is this is a slumdog millionaire. This is wild. Okay. I won't expedite, but I'm just going to I'm just going to get through it cuz I okay. don't I don't I don't want the crown in this case of the longest episode. I think the uh, crown's coming down whether <laughs> the oh story God. comes out or not, but we'll see. I don't know. So, Gold Street era, living in Manhattan, working as a bartender. 
my buddy Jack is an artist. There's a fancy art party. It's like a graduation party. Uh, we go with my buddy Connor and my friend Trina. Um, go to this party. There's like it's artsy. There's music. There's dancing. People are finger painting on each other's faces. It's Ooh. like yeah, the facial expression you just made is worth is priceless. That's exactly <laughs> the right facial expression. Um, okay. Um, the Jack gets like a Joker smile drawn on his face. I ask for a blue handlebar mustache, which is an inside reference. Talking about nicknames from earlier, there was a period of time where one of my nicknames was the blue handlebar bandito because someone had drawn a blue handlebar mustache on my face at a party and I had later hooked up with someone while I had the handlebar mustache at the party and it was mm-hmm. the whole thing and yada 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 and it was like here comes the blue handle for the bandit you know it was that kind of shit oh, yeah. um so i had the blue mustache on we're walking down um we're at union park east we're passing a 7-eleven i rush in to get a bottle of water i come back out and i'm um oh sorry we're walking and the reason i rush into the 7-eleven is because Jack points and says, bad luck spot. I go, what? Points to the ground. I'm standing in a chalk circle that has the words bad luck spot written in it. Oh, just I look up and down, spelled out. Wow. Literally spelled out. I look up and down in both directions. And there's a bunch of these circles all over the sidewalk, both directions. Uh, as a guy who carries a lucky charm around in my pocket, let me tell you, I was not keen on standing in a bad luck spot. So I rush into, uh, as, as the shanty Irish prick that I am, I rush into this bodega, grab a bottle of water, rush back out. Bodega, it was a 7-Eleven, Jesus. Um, uh, just lost my New Yorker license. Um, uh, uh, and pour it on the, uh, pour it on the street. Um, I pour it on the part that says bad and rub it out with my foot, transforming it into a luck spot. And I go, yeah, that's good. thinking unbeknownst to me there were a group do you know do you know what crust punks are gutter punks are crusties sounds familiar but i I, no i don't subculture of these like intense they're they're like intense they're young people that like aggressively panhandle they're like hanging out in Tompkins square park um Mm. you know and it's like they're they're panhandling but they're also wearing like a you know $800 spiked like a custom leather jacket it's okay. a whole you know there's a whole subculture to it um so I rubbed this thing out and apparently they had drawn these and didn't take too kindly to it so they get up in a group and start walking and mutter at some start muttering at us and we kind of freeze up and go oh and they kind of walk past and around us and through it and this one kid about my height little anemic looking uh, spike collar hoodie up uh, shoulder checks me pushes it into his shoulder, oh, my shoulder. Boy. Uh, and i go i'm sorry sir and he whips around and goes don't call me sir and i was like all right mister i don't <laughs> i'm sorry so sorry um and and they continue walking along and we kind of huddle up and we're like jesus i didn't know that they i didn't see them like hanging out on that stoop or whatever like that was scary i guess they're mad that you know whatever in an instant, my buddy Jack is on the ground and the dude who had shoulder checked me is standing where Jack is standing. I didn't see it, but he had snuck up while we were huddled up while his friends were still kind of walking a little bit, grabbed the back of Jack's hair, grabbed his like waist and threw him face first into the ground oh, um, and starts yeah. 
starts screaming like, yeah, what? Fuck you. Um, Jack pops up. Um, we all leap back as this guy is not continuing to attack us, but like threatening, basically threatening us. And Jack's glasses are broken in his hand. And um, glasses are broken in his hand. And I look at Jack and I go like, oh my God, are, like, are your glasses broken? And he goes, yeah. And I turned to the guy and I'm like, did you just break my friend's glasses? And the guy got up, at, you know, approached me and got up in my face and said, yeah, you want to fight about it? And I remember the sensation of being in my brain being like, this is horrifying. Like this guy's attacking us. I can't believe. And then I looked out of <laughs> my eyes to my right and saw my fist traveling through the air. And I was like, oh, oh no. It's happening. It's happening. Oh no. My violent Irish ancestors have possessed my body. They're like, you don't drink. You're not Catholic. You'll at least fight. You're going to fight. Um, and I was like, oh no, no, no. Um, and watch this fist front of the air. And again, it is, they call it, a, they don't, it's not called the flight response. It's called fight or flight. It's yeah. not up to you. Something in your spine will click and your body's going to have a reaction. Um, I, so in response to this guy's question, I did not give him a verbal yes. He said, do you want to fight about it? And I punched him in the nose as hard as I could. He stumbled back and immediately I went full Ralphie from a Christmas story. Cause I was like, this dude's got a knife. This dude's got something like this guy clearly enjoys violence. I called him sir and mister. I'm clearly not cut out for this line of work. Yeah. Like this guy's going to fucking kill me. So at that point, panic set in and I just bludgeoned this dude to I just jumped because I was like this is a situation where if this guy pops back up life gets very bad yeah. um, so uh, engaged in that now and I'm going to tell you the, the last part of the story uh, I told this one time to a regular of mine at the bar after it happened and I was telling the story because I was like I was still like adrenaline high I, was, I couldn't believe that it happened yeah um, and the list of my regular was a cop. And the cop, in response to this next part of the story I'm going to tell you, was like, hey, man, that's a cool story. You shouldn't say that part because uh, that's a felony. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's been a long time and this guy's gone and whatever. Yeah, um, exactly. The dude, I was hitting the guy. I realized I needed to stop hitting him because I was over him. Hit, he was crouched down. I don't. He wasn't like on his hands and knees, but he was crouched, holding his head because I was punching his head and shoulders and back. Yeah. And I so was, and I, something went like, "This is unsporting. Stand back." And I stood back because I, I had like full went berserk on the guy. Yeah. And he stood up and looked at me, and I said, "Give me all the money you have on you." Um. And he said, fuck you. And I said, you broke my friend's glasses. We're all so broke. We don't have any money. You're going to pay. You're going to pay for my friend's glasses. Yeah. And, uh, and that's the part that the cop was like, well, that's robbery. You can't do that. Um, and um, uh, I was like, noted. Um, so the dude turns around. The dude, when I the dude says like, you want to fight me for it? I love fighting. And it's this point, like, like the nerd part of my brain is coming back online. And I'm like, um, um, actually you clearly don't. I tried to fight you and you <laughs> curled up in a ball and I had to stop punching you because I felt sad for you. So that's not accurate. And, uh, 
he that got him really mad and he turned around and whistled for his friends at this point his friends kind of have, have like stopped a little ways down the block whistles it's like come on let's get him his friends look at each other check in and keep walking oh man and he turns around to look at me with his eyes wide and i hold up my arms in the sort of universal come at me bro gesture gotta remind you full blue handlebar mustache the whole encounter <laughs> i i had forgotten about the handlebar people or- forget you gotta remember the blue yeah. handlebar bandito strikes again <laughs> um and i hold my arms out like what's it gonna be man this dude sprints into traffic just whoosh into park avenue towards union square immediately can't follow him like he almost gets hit and uh you know any badass part of me is immediately offline at this point. And I reach for something to say and just go full LARPer and just yell, coward, coward, <laughs> at the top of my lungs. And then a, a tiny version of the Final Fantasy victory music played. <laughs> uh once again, I know you're not making these up, but just the fact that these just keep coming up in the, such a natural way. I know. It's Amazing. crazy. It's really crazy. I feel, I, I do feel for your audience because I feel like I've lost half of them at this point. No, um, they're good. They love it. <laughs> good, good, good. I promise you. <sighs> uh, wow. See? Some might call that a felony. I'd call that street justice. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Maybe it's the New Jersey anatomy, but hey. Hey, you know what? It's a different thing. The, the flavor is different. The flavor is different. Not doing that in Iowa, I'll tell you that much. Um, <laughs> question 92. Would you ever go to a nude beach? Sure. I'd do that. It's no sweat. Yeah. I don't think I would seek it out. Um, but also, listen, I remember the first, the, I promise it's not another full story, but uh, I remember being around like 13 years old. There was a Beltane ritual upstate New York, which is like the Celtic pagan spring festival. And I was finally old enough one year that I was kind of, me and my friends were like allowed to roam around on our own. And it's like, cool. And it was going to be nighttime. And that's when the festival goes from being kind of like a family sort of like Ren fair vibe to being like, ooh, this is like a big party mm. bonfire naked dancing around the bonfire and then me and these other 13 year old boys are like oh my god we can go to the bonfire <laughs> oh my god oh my god i can't believe it so we you know snuck over i don't always snuck over there's hundreds of people like we're sneaking in the middle of a fucking circus it's like there's just you know yeah. no need just our own shame at our body our changing bodies is the only <laughs> thing prompting us to sneak um and we see this bonfire, but we're like, there's going to be hot ladies nude at the bonfire. Let me tell you, Bob, there were hot nude ladies at the bonfire. Mm-hmm. They made up a percentage of people at the bonfire, probably somewhat underneath the general share of the population shared by hot ladies. There were like a couple, but mostly the oldest people in the world mm. were dancing around that bonfire. I watched breasts move in ways that reoriented my understanding of physics, of inertia. You know how you know chameleons' eyes can move in de- independently of each other? Yep, yep. So me and all my little 13-year-old buddies got full eyefuls 
of dancing around the bonfire with breasts just completely disrespecting one another's orbit through space and time non-euclidean non-euclidean <laughs> like an mc escher painting of boobies and uh so you know new beaches are fine i would go if i wanted to swim but you know i gotcha i gotcha uh 93 somehow not the realest question when was the last time you cried oh i cried hard at christmas we watched a muppet christmas carol and i can't watch the scene in christmas future where bob cratchit comes home and there's and uh, tiny tim's not there yeah. i literally i did a good job i didn't even make any noise but izzy was lying on me we were on a little separate seat in the couches over here the rest of the family's watching and i was totally good just tears coming, but stone face, and but my entire chest and stomach were shaking <sighs> with silent sobs, and I couldn't. Uh... It's a tough one, especially like the 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 little piggies. I don't know what, if they even have names in that. They probably do. I don't still remember it, but it, it's a rough scene. That is a rough yeah, scene. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, Ninety four. What's something? that you've done and will probably never do again. I don't know that I'll, I think there are places that I'll probably never go back to. Hmm. You know what I mean? One that jumps to mind, it's again, I'm trying to answer the question as literally as possible, which maybe is not the point, but um, I, I went to Romania and had an amazing time in Romania as part of a young general assembly, this like sort of model United Nations thing. And it was a wonderful time. Um, and I really enjoyed my time there, but I don't know that I would ever return. I think I was there for long enough. And I think there are other places in the world that I would rather travel to very simple answer, but that's my answer. I dig it. I dig it. 95 best compliment you've ever received. Whoa. This one jumped to mind. That's, that's, you know, it's impossible to answer that question, but this one jumped to mind. Um, talking before about cruelty and about how I hate when people are cruel. Like people can be cruel because they feel they can get away with it. They feel mm-hmm. like, like, oh, in a situation where I don't have to be nice, why would I be? The opposite of that is so profound. Um, and uh, in other words, when someone goes out of their way to be kind when there's nothing in it for them there's nothing in it for them it, it, um i don't know if you remember it there's a woman named morgan grace jarrett she's an improviser in new york she's been on like broad city and other stuff she was an icon for me when i was a young improv head i was bartending i was taking ucb classes and like i was a couple years out of college and things weren't going well i i, I was like it was like, I'm not getting closer to my dreams. I'm getting, if anything, farther away from them. Mm. I'm, I'm getting tired. I'm getting more in debt. I'm getting older. The connections that I made in film school are getting dustier and less reliable and all this other shit. Uh, so I was, there was a year of my life where the highlight of my week was the improv jam at UCB East, the beast, which has since shut, since shut down. I could, I mean, the sadness of UCB and what's happened with UCB is a longer discussion, but yeah. In this instance, going to that theater 
and waiting through set after set after set to get up there with 12 people to do an eight minute set where maybe you'd get a line or two. Maybe you'd be in one scene. What if that happened? What if you were in a scene? Oh my God. Um, I salivated over it. It was, it was the highlight of my week. And if I could, and on the weeks where you did get in a scene where like no one edited it too early, or you actually, you actually got like two solid minutes to do a scene with someone. And, and if I could do that and I killed and like, I did a good job and people laughed, like that was enough to make, you know, cleaning the grease off of bar mats at 3am worth it. <laughs> I was like, God, that's all I need. It's all I need. Um, Morgan Grace Jarrett was on a team called Grandma's Ashes that hosted that jam. And they hosted it every week. And I was a regular. I was there all the time. I put my name in. I'd be waiting. And I was working as a PA on a show called Bunk. It was a Kurt Braunohler game show that was on IFC. Hmm. And Morgan Grace Jarrett was in a test episode for it. So they were like, they were doing something like at the the Bell House. And, you know, being a PA, you work for like $100 a day for like a 16-hour day just like doing really thankless work, getting in the van, getting coffee, coiling cables and all this shit. And you're there. And especially with a PA, like in a way being a PA was sometimes sadder than when I was bartending because you're so close to the thing that you want to be doing. Um, And yet so far away, it's like, you know, you're, you're a million miles away from it. After the show, you know, I didn't even, I didn't say anything to Warren Grace Jarrett. She, she was there. She had like, you know, there's like reps and other people and she's talking to producers and she's all done up with makeup. And it's like, don't be the guy who's bothering talent. And also like, you know, I've never introduced myself to her. She does. The only reason she knows my name is every week. She, every week she discovers my name again, pulling it out of a bucket. Like she doesn't remember (laughs) my name. Um, And I was crouched next to the stage, literally in like total darkness, coiling cable, bending down, coiling big, big cable. And um, I hear a voice behind my shoulder go, hi. Uh, and I turn around and Morgan Grace Jarrett just like walked all, there's no one around. It's not like she was just standing there. She like walked across the room over to me. She was like, hi. And I was like, hi, do you, can I help? Are you lost? Do you, you know, like, do you need help getting, do you need to talk to an AD or something like that? And she's like, you come to the Wednesday night jams at, um, at UCB East at the Beast. And I was like, yeah yeah i do yeah and she's like you're so funny you're really really good i i ho- what what level class are you in what are where are you ta- what are you taking and i mean like the rat we had a short conversation following that i don't remember it because a beam of light from god's <laughs> open mouth hit me in the skull and birds flew and harps trumpets rang out and you know like i can't it's so funny because it's such you know, like I've been given, I think I've been given more profound compliments in life than that. And I've been given compliments from people who knew me better and were able to speak to things that probably matter more in the long run. But that one jumps to mind because man, she didn't have to walk across that room to some PA coiling cable and absolutely give me the gas to go through the next four months and two levels and indie group scheduling and all that stuff to be like, well, shit if if morgan grace jarrett thinks that i've got something in the tank then jesus maybe i'm not wasting my time you know like meant the world that's huge because sometimes that's all you're looking for and it, it, that's phenomenal uh 96 tell me a joke 
I am going to tell you a joke, but I'm going to tell it to you in a flipped version because I actually I don't I actually can't think of a joke. I don't think okay. the best joke the best joke I ever heard was told by my cousin Brian when he was four years old. He just gotten verbal enough. My whole Irish Catholic family are all goofballs and ball busters and the most delightful, wonderful, loving people, and it's great. Yeah. Um, so like this moment you can speak, you're encouraged to want to tell jokes and, and try to be funny and do bits. Um, so Brian is like. I think maybe even still in a car seat. And he's like, I have a joke. And we're all in a big van going to the beach. And we're like, oh, Brian's got a joke. Brian, tell you a joke. Um, he goes, knock, knock, who's there? And uh, we go, knock. he says, knock, knock. We go, who's there? And he says, Apple. And we go, Apple who? He goes, knock, knock, who's there? Apple. Apple who? And we're like, okay, knock, knock, who's there? Apple. Apple who? And he goes for the kill and immediately realizes what he's done. Realizes that he's been saying apple instead of orange. And we all watch this poor little four-year-old be like, this is my first one. I needed this to kill. I needed this to kill. I'm ruined in this family. I'm toast. And that hero, that goddamn saint, commits to the bit. And he gets the fear off his face. And he proudly announces, apple, you glad I didn't say banana. (laughs) Um, I think I even botched it that time as well. He did he did it the right way. He did banana, banana, who, banana, banana, who, banana, banana, who. And then instead of doing orange, he said apple. And then it became apple. You glad I didn't say banana. He crushed it. He went in 100%. He, he got to commit. Yeah. If there's any life lesson to be learned. Yeah. All right. Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, 97. 97 used to be a question that I wrote uh, that just wasn't very good. So I... Uh, scrapped it and threw it in the recycling bin and replaced it with the listener question of the week. Wow. Uh, so if any of our lovely listeners have a question, it's 99. And of course, that's the number 99 questions pod at Gmail or on Twitter. They can send them right on over. Um, and I just couldn't decide between these three. So we're going to do a quick lightning round of these three because uh, I think some are super uber specific that may not have a specific answer so i wanted to have some backups uh so this one is from uh here we go this one is from rose uh it's been driving me crazy and it's very specific about uh, a crown of candy what did emily and shaban write on those notes during their prisoner dilemma scenes in the finale i know you wanted to read them out loud but couldn't find them. If there's any way you could share them or just put them on Twitter or something, I would be absolutely thrilled. I will look for them, find them, and put them on Twitter. Oh my God. One of them was a straight answer. And I think the one from Siobhan was a straight answer. And she tried to cheat by putting something in parenthetical. She was like, but if something else happens, I do this. And it was like, that's not the... <laughs> that's not how that works. Cheating going on. All right, very nice. Uh, question also from Jack One Spade. Uh, did the corn cutie gremlins or corn ooze ever get official stats, or are we on our own homebrewing those? Thanks. Oh, uh, they do have official stats. I should find those and put those online. Um, uh, I have the index cards for them. I'm not going to read a bunch of stats on your no, podcast, that's, but I will yeah. put them online. That I don't want to just give you homework to do for these questions, but no worries. I, I'm sure people would be much appreciative. Uh, appreciative. Uh, let's see. Star Phoenix. What was your favorite moment where the players messed with your plans? 
favorite moment where the players messed with my plans. Big spoilers, obviously. Well, yeah. um, for sure. Um, probably. Oh, it's got to be Lou Wilson going absolutely berserk as Fabian and going toe to toe with Captain James Wicklaw uh, in the Crow's oh, Keep of Leviathan. Couldn't have predicted it. Such a bad idea. So very, very fun. I loved it. God, you were so close to death. So close. close. Uh, And last question from a friend of the show, dear friend of the show, Dory, um, who wrote, Hi, Brennan. Big fan of the first season of Dimension 20. I wanted to know, what's your favorite John Cusack movie? Thank you. You're such an inspiration to so many for DMing, myself included. Thank you, Dory. Thank you very much, Dory. That's extremely kind. Um, favorite John Cusack movie? Huh. Maybe I think my favorite John Cusack movie might be. Oh, that's so interesting. What is? I'm trying to remember all the stuff. I might have to say High Fidelity. I think High Fidelity is my favorite John Cusack movie. It's really good. It's really good. I think excellent answers. Excellent answers all around. Thank you so much, everyone who submitted some questions for Brennan. Question 98. What made you want to be who you are today? What made me want to be? This is some I Heart Huckabee shit. If I actually think about this question, my brain's going to ooze out of my ears. (laughs) What made me want to be who I am today? What made me want to be who I am? To, what made me want to be who I am today? There's some existential. This is a trap. This is a mind trap by a sorcerer. Your mind is entering a stone that I'm holding in my palm currently. This is the only. I know we've talked about cop outs before. This is the only question that is unanswerable. I'm going to pull my philosophy major card. This is an unanswerable question, and here's why. The question is: What made you? want to be who you are today correct for that to be true because questions have premises baked into them questions are not without their own biases and their own worldviews right so the big problems here are the what and made you want to be who you are today the question frames my life in such a way that there is a detachable event or cause that have impacted me in such a way that I said, I know the kind of person I want to be later and then successfully became that person, which is a billiard ball interaction that is not anywhere near what actually happened. A single event for to assume one that I'm the person I wanted to be rather than just a horrifying mishmash of prior experiences and half-assed efforts and trying while tired. (laughs) And also that a single event would do that. I say, fi, I am all of the causes that have come before me, which cannot be reduced to a single one. And my identity and self is in fact much larger than anything I could envision. I am more than the me that I can picture in my conscious mind. My conscious mind is one player on a very large team. Uh, I don't think that I don't think my consciousness has the sauce 
to envision all the things that I actually am. And I think that's true for everybody. I don't think anyone can hold themselves in their mind's eye. So you're telling me there wasn't one inciting incident that can be summed up in one Wikipedia sentence? Sorry, my <laughs> parents were killed in an alley. I forgot, um, shit. My parents were killed in an alley and the crime alley? everywhere. It was and crime alley, wasn't it? It was crime alley. And now, <sighs> I, and now I'm Batman and I'm going to fight Bane twice and lose both times. You're Tony Pepperoni. I'm fucking Tony <laughs> Pepperoni, baby. Don't fuck with me. Uh, question 99, top of the <gasps> mountain. What do you want to be remembered for? It's funny. There's two, there's two interpretations about that. There's what do you want to be remembered for? And then there's what do you want to be remembered for? Um, <laughs> that second version of the question is kind of funny. Ah, being remembered. It's overrated. Um, what do you want to be remembered for? Uh, uh, utility. And let me, I'm going to actually answer the second version of the question. Uh, I just hope my memory is useful to people. I hope that, uh, I, like, I, I'm not living my life with the idea of how I will be seen, either in the present or the future. I think that that way lies death. I think that's a deeply unhealthy way to live. To, to like, I think you should live your life in a way where you do not mind being seen. Like I said, Duke de la Rochefoucauld, live, live as though you're in the sun. I don't, you don't want to be a, a hidden person. Yeah. Um, but also, hopefully, you're doing the things you're doing because they are the right things to do, not because of um, the story you're trying to tell of yourself. It's not that I don't struggle with that. I think everybody, I think that there's definitely parts of me that do want, uh, you know, there's, there's the part that wants the, the, the glory and the perfume of heroic deeds and all that shit. Um, but if I have to give an actual answer, if I have to, in, in other words, if I... You know, I know what my base instincts and urges would answer, which is like, remember me well, remember me well, remember, please remember me well. But yeah. that's just, that's an appetite like any other appetite for food or for wealth or for whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, for, you know, we're hungry for a claim. That's not, that's not the enlightened thought. That's just the, that's the pit of your stomach. That's the, that's your tummy talking. Um, uh, so I would say that, um what I hope I am remembered for and what I hope I am remembered for uh, is that I lived my life in such a way that um, people can use uh, what, whatever is remembered of my life to uh, help their lives and make the world better and increase human flourishing and safety and comfort and joy. Um, and if that happens um, because of an example I set, then boy, that would be really sweet and nice. But it can also be a cautionary tale. Doesn't, you know, whatever. It's all good. I just, I don't know. My grandparents, uh, I've been thinking about my grandparents recently because the set of stories have been talking about my family about their internment, their funeral. Both of them gave their bodies to science, which is definitely what I'm going to do when I die. Um, it's the ultimate pragmatic utilitarian thing to do. It's like, what what is this this body well when i'm done using it let someone get some use out of it and um i guess that's how i feel about my life as well like um i hope like in other words i'm spending my life hopefully doing good things today like things that are helping right now the memory of my life would be like giving my body to science afterwards like if that can do some good on my way out the door 
groovy. That'd be cool too. Wow. I, I think it, I think that fits an overall theme. <laughs> and I think whether it's right now or after the fact, I think you are being incredibly helpful and bringing incredible joy to people. And I can only speak for these last couple of hours in which you've brought me and whoever is listening at this point, <laughs> heroes. Boy, so if you're joy. listening at this point, I'm so sorry. And thank you so much. Jeez. Woo. These questions rock. These are good oh, questions. That's very kind of you, sir. But let me say the answers indeed rock. You rock. You're a treasure. And I truly, truly thank you for being on. I wish I could ask you more, but I am just plumb out of questions. Um. <laughs> you know what? 99 feels like a nice, solid number to me. So I'm down. This hundred's good. just too many. Too many. That extra question, it just is too much. It's the straw that breaks the camel's back. Who has the time? Who has the my... time for 100 questions? Exactly. Brennan, uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Uh, is there anything you would like to plug, promote, waft into the ears of our lovely listeners the floor is completely yours uh check out dimension 20 uh at dropout.tv or at youtube.com slash dimension 20 show uh you can find me on twitter at brennan lm and you can find me on instagram at brennan lee mulligan and bob a pleasure and honor and a delight what a wonderful time thank you so much no brennan thank you what a kind-hearted wonderful person with oh my god those stories an absolute treasure i can't thank him enough but uh before we get too sappy here i see the red light is on it's last call we got to figure out what we learned here today we learned that you do not want to stand in someone's bad luck spot if you do you're going to need to defend yourself with either a good luck coin or a razor sharp square of iowa pizza We learn that the movie Dark Knight Rises is actually just Batman's sad boy summer. Hopefully the director of the next film, Tony Pepperoni, will bring some spice back into the franchise. We learn that the band Looking Glass haven't done a whole lot since 1972. We learn that two scoops of mashed potatoes are enough for anyone of any nationality, and that fairies are just legit and real, which is really cool. But if you'll excuse me, me and James Earl Jones have to gear up for our fight against the tsunamis. I'll be back in two weeks, though, for our next episode. Thank you, and good night. Are we, what do you think? Did I, did I clear number one? Are we number one now? Oh, yeah. Oh, Christ. <laughs> How embarrassing. Good I God. I love it. I love it. I absolutely love it. Well, at least at least I start by saying that I'm not very brief, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs>